This episode is brought to you by Gnosis. Gnosis builds decentralized infrastructure for the Ethereum ecosystem. With a rich history dating back to 2015 and products like Safe, CowSwap, or Gnosis Chain, Gnosis combines needs-driven development with deep technical expertise. This year marks the launch of Gnosis Pay, the world's first decentralized payment network. With a Gnosis card, you can spend self-custody crypto at any visa-accepting merchant around the world. If you're an individual looking to live more on-chain or a business looking to white-label the stack, visit GnosisPay.com. There are lots of ways you can join the Gnosis journey. Drop in the Gnosis DAO governance form, become a Gnosis validator with a single GNO token and low-cost hardware, or deploy your product on the EVM-compatible and highly decentralized Gnosis chain. Get started today at Gnosis.io. Chorus One is one of the biggest node operators globally and will help you stake your tokens on more than 45 networks like Ethereum, Cosmos, Celestia, and DYDX. More than 100,000 delegators stake with Chorus One, including institutions like BitGo and Ledger. Staking with Chorus One not only gets you the highest yields, but also the robust security practices and infrastructure that are usually exclusive for institutions. You can stake directly to Chorus One's public node from your wallet. Set up a white label node or use the recently launched product, Opus, to stake up to 8K ETH in a single transaction. You can even offer high yield staking to your customers using the Chorus API. Your assets always remain in your custody, so you can have complete peace of mind and you can start staking today at Chorus.one. Welcome to Epicenter, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and people driving decentralization and the blockchain revolution. This is phenomenal. Today is Epicenter's 10th birthday, and we're very pleased to be doing this special edition live stream with lots of special guests. Uh, and um, and as you'll see here, a special co-host, uh, who I'll introduce in just a second. But um, first, I just want to say just how exciting this is that... You know, 10 years ago, Brian and I were releasing the very first pilot episode of Epicenter. So throughout this live stream, we'll be bringing in people. It's sort of a call-in show. We'll have like lots of friends, listeners, and former uh, guests of the show come in, uh, give their thoughts or share their impressions on the industry and also share some interesting anecdotes. We've also got some epicenter trivia we'll go back down memory lane i've got some stuff prepped here uh to keep everything exciting but um first yeah welcome everyone how's everybody doing great good so 10 years crazy stuff yeah so i i want to just introduce uh the person down on the on the on the on the bottom right here so adam b levine who um some I'm sure the OGs will remember as the host of Let's Talk Bitcoin and people who have been listening to the show long enough will know the story of how um, Brian and I met back in 2013 through Let's Talk Bitcoin. So Adam, why don't you just introduce yourself briefly here and uh, we'll um, we'll get started. Sure. Thanks, Seb. Yeah, uh, I'm Adam B. Levine. Uh, I've been on basically both sides of like disruptive technology, journalism, and entrepreneurialism. Uh, about 11 years ago at this point, I started uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin uh, in the spring of 2013. 
And that uh, was kind of immediately right place, right time. Fifth Bitcoin podcast I'd started at a point at that point, there was really no other shows around that were talking about this stuff. And then as we uh, came into the end of the year, we were very popular, growing very fast. And I was annoyed that there were no other shows that I could listen to outside of myself. And I do like listening to my own voice. But uh, but uh, that led me to start a contest uh, through the network that had about 20 submissions. And I will I think we can confirm at this point that Epicenter is the longest lasting, greatest success that came out of that batch. And it was a pretty good batch. And uh, a lot of those shows lasted for a few years. So that was sort of the, you know, another catalyst moment. Uh, I like to do that whenever I can. And I'm very happy that you guys have had such success. And I'm very happy that I was able to help you guys get started. So congratulations on 10 years. It's a huge accomplishment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I got into Bitcoin, it was basically just when you guys started uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin, maybe like a month after that. And I was like writing my master's thesis at the time. So then I have like too much time. Except whenever I was like cycling somewhere, I was living in Berlin at the time, uh, you know, I was listening to Let's Talk Bitcoin, right? So I listened to like all of the episodes and that was like a really, uh, really great way to to kind of get into it. And it was super exciting. And then uh, and I you know, was just a fan of Bitcoin, uh, of podcasts, right? Because like it was for me kind of the, the one of the main ways of learning about Bitcoin early on. So then when I was like, okay, I want to work fully in in this area and you had this contest and I was a fan of the sort of a podcast format and felt it was such a powerful way to to learn, you know, to build a network, to, you know, speak with interesting people. And then the the, the chance to launch our own podcast was, was, you know, was exciting. And then uh, I remember, I think he had this call out and it said like, okay, there's going to be a call for anyone interested in participating and uh, it was only like maybe five, six people on this call. And uh, I think Sebastian and I were the only ones in Europe. We didn't know each other yeah. at the time. And then we were like, okay, let's let's try to do this thing together. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, did that pilot episode. And then, and then it was surprising actually how many people still ended up doing the pilot episode, right? Because in that, in that first call, you, you, um, you organized, there was not a lot of people in there. Yeah. But afterwards, yeah, quite a lot of episodes came through and... Yeah, I'm excited we kept going. Yeah, I think it was about 20 episodes. I think we had about 20 pilots that came out of that. And I think we wanted the intent was to be like, hey, this is going to be the, you know, the top two or three shows. And I think we wound up taking on seven or eight because we were like, oh, well, actually, you know, this is this is all pretty compelling. And yeah, I remember that call that we that I remember the kickoff call. And I think that the way that that uh, that you guys started working on the show together was I was like, well, you're both in Europe. You should probably just do the pilot together because this is hard. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that was that uh, that that I said something to that extent. You guys were like, "Okay, you know, why not?" <laughs> yeah, that, so. I think I think that was basically it. It was just like, <laughs> why, "Why why don't you get like these Europeans work together?" <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, I also remember that call. I, mean, I remember I was like in my kitchen, like where I used to be living, and uh, and you know brian and i afterwards like had another chat and then got to know each other and then we only actually met in person like two or three months later actually in february um of the following year at at uh at let's talk in berlin and like it you know for me that 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 whole period was such a transitionary period i had been working in sort of web design and product development web product development before that e-commerce and it was such a whole new world and i remember Brian, I don't know if you remember this, but you know, we we went to this dinner 
Uh, I don't. I don't think it was at Let's Talk. I, I, I don't think it was at Inside Bitcoin's Berlin. I think it was at the Amsterdam conference in 2014. And we went to this dinner, and there were all these sort of like VC types, and it was organized by Matt Rosak and Brock Pierce. No, that was in Berlin. Folks from the. That was in Berlin, right? So yeah, yeah, it was and, Brock and, Pierce and Matt Rosak organized that dinner. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like blockchain ventures uh, guys were sitting next to us, and like at some point, like I remember, you looked at me, you said. Okay, Seb. From now on, from this point forward, we're we're now co-founders because I think before that we had sort of you know envisioned this as sort of being a a bit of a hobby and kind of a thing that we did on the side. But then at that point, you're like, okay, this is something that we're really going to pursue because you know this is like you know basically Bitcoin and blockchain are, are going to change the world and like we want to be part of this and 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 we want to sort of you know project ourselves as entrepreneurs in this space and not just hobbyists. And and I remember that was like an important sort of you know, mind shift for me from that point on, like, okay, now, you know, I'm working in blockchain full time. And, and, and that's sort of what happened from that point on. Yeah. Yeah. And it was also very good. I think like combination to us together, because you, you were very good at also at the whole like website, figuring out the whole like technique, all of the sort of, you know, how to actually produce a podcast, put it out, the audio, all of these things that was like very helpless with. So there was like... I think we were like a great, uh, I, you know, I was more like interested in the reading the white papers and preparing questions and stuff. But like, I think we were like a great uh, sort of, yeah, great complementary skill set. So I think that, you know, allowed us to, you know, to, to produce this thing consistently. And then, of course, yeah. you know, we started having uh, more hosts, right? I think Meher joined as the third host in, I think it was like 2015. Uh, actually, so this is my first trivia okay. question. Okay. So, so okay. I've, I've got some trivia questions here, and then we'll start. We'll start bringing in the uh, the guests here. So uh, the first the first trivia question is is for all of the all the co-hosts actually. So we'll, when when did Meher first join? What was Meher's first episode? And maybe you know Meher, you're also op- well, uh, yeah open to uh, welcome to to answer this question. But uh, I don't know if you remember. But yeah, maybe Brian, maybe you remember. I don't remember the first episode. I think it was like 2015 that he joined. If, yeah, if I remember correctly, but I don't remember yeah, what episode. So it was episode ninety-seven. It was with Paul Stork. Oh right, the the yeah. drive chain stuff. Drive chain. Or... There you That's go. yeah. Truth drive chains. Truth coin. Yeah, that's right. Truth coin. Back then, truth coin. Yeah, and um, and Sunny, do you remember your first episode? Okay. <laughs> Does anyone else remember? I didn't remember. I remembered Meharis, but I didn't remember yours or Felicas. I, I, I should, I'll say it. I, I'm pretty sure it was Charles Hoskinson. I wish I had a. I wish I had a bell. Like, bing, bing, yes, bing, bing. I, <laughs> I think uh, Brian knew I was like really into Ethereum Classic at the time, and so then he like asked me like, "Hey, do you want to do this one with Charles Hoskinson?" I think that's how that's how I did my first episode. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah, we did that one met- together. Yeah, yeah. Sonia and I met. Uh, so I was working at Tenement in uh, 2017, and then we had this uh, retreat in the summer of 2017 in uh, Canada. And then uh, Sonny was like, I don't know, like 19 at the time or something, something like that. You know, <laughs> that was my next question. How old was Sonny when he first joined Epicenter? <laughs> Correct answer was not old enough to drink. <laughs> yeah, well, depends, depends where. <laughs> yeah, in Canada, yeah. Uh, and, and Frederica, 
Do you remember your first episode? I was going to look it up now, but I didn't. I think <laughs> it's Coin Fund, and I think it was in 2018. And it's also That's super right. funny because I, Brian and I, we had actually known each other for a while. Um, and uh, we had worked from the same office, um, the ETHDEV office in Berlin for a while. And then we actually started a co-working space together, full node, um, in Berlin in 2017. And but the way the, the way I actually got on the podcast the first time is when I met Meher at a dinner and he said, Oh, you should join Epicenter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it had sort of come up as an idea yeah, guess, and yeah, we had discussed it. And then at some point uh, I think Meher <laughs> was like uh, asked you and then yeah, I'm super happy that that worked out and that you know, you become a key invaluable host and part of the show. So <laughs> Yeah, and it's such a pleasure. And uh, yeah, Felix isn't here yet, but his his first one was with uh, Dan Finlay of MetaMask. He joined a bit later in, in 2022. Uh, but hopefully he'll join the live stream in just a bit. Um, but uh, yeah, let's get some of... We've got some people here in the, in the green room that we wanted to bring on. Uh, so yeah, who, who's, who's on first? I think Trent. I think Trent is first, yeah. right? All right, let's bring him in. Hey, Trent. Great to be here. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. And first of all, congratulations, 10 years. It's hard to believe. Wow. I, I was, I loved hearing these stories already from what you guys are sharing. Uh, you know, a lot of Berlin things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Trent was also, you know, one of the first uh, people, right, in, in Bitcoin in Berlin and uh, started, you know, a whole sequence of, uh, Startups was a scribe the first one or uh yeah it was a scribe which pivoted to big genie b which pivoted to ocean so i've been at ocean for six years i guess now yeah and a scribe a lot of people will not know a scribe but a scribe was basically doing something like nfts right on uh on the bitcoin blockchain so they were basically uh you know taking these artworks and sort of uh, you know, tracking the ownership of these artworks on chain. And I remember having lots of discussions there. And I was always like, but does this make sense? Because like, I mean, you know, sort of the image is there anyway, and anyone can copy it. So you can't really protect that. ownership. And I was always like, at the one hand, I thought it was very cool. On the other hand, I'm like, does it really make sense? And then of course, you know, NFTs became absolutely massive. But I think that was really the first the first project that and you guys were doing cool things right working with you know interesting artists and galleries and uh you also like you know way ahead of of your time uh, with that project yeah it was really mm -hmm. fun i mean you know we had decent traction but you know we were too relieved for the money side of things so we had to pivot and interestingly you know like nfts took off in bitcoin what a year and a half ago and you know now they've been spreading the mechanism brc20 is sort of not much different than a hash on on the output transaction, um, and uh, uh, it's sort of you know taking advantage of the witness stuff. But then people took the idea and dumped it into the other EVM chains for basically lower uh, transaction fees, and it's been spreading. It's called inscriptions, right? If you guys are following this, it's hilarious. And there's big complaints about dust and all the other chains, and you know breaking chains one by one every week. It seems. Um, but it's actually fascinating because BRC20 is actually very similar to the Spool protocol we developed back in the day. 
And, you know, for us, it's like, we're really happy that NFTs finally took off. Maybe it wasn't us, but, you know, we're, we're still playing in blockchain and building. So it's great to see. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think you've also been on the show a whole bunch of times. So I think we did a scribe. So I guess we did all of the things, you know, we did a scribe, Big Tony B, Ocean, I think several Ocean episodes maybe. And yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I remember uh, probably one funny one. It was uh, Consensus 2017. I had just come off stage and I had a um, an interview lined up with Sebastian. And um, I'm, I randomly met Fred Ursa right at the tail end of my talk. And he's like, Trent, we need to talk. Co-founder of Coinbase, right? And I'm like, okay, I'm going off to do um, uh, uh, um, an interview in, in, with uh, Epicenter. Do you want to join me? Because I knew he'd already been writing about um, uh, decentralized data markets. And the interview was going to be partly on that. So, so I basically hijacked Sebastian with, uh, with uh, Fred. <laughs> and, I remember uh, this. I, I- <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember you came on, and I, like, I think already, you know, I, I was sort of on edge because it was like the first time I did an episode solo. Because like usually, you know, it's always two hosts, right? And so in in the early days, like when I do an episode solo, I always just like be a little bit self conscious about it. And then and then you bring on this other person randomly, right? And I was like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but yeah, it ended, up, it ended up being really good. Yeah, it was a really lively discussion. Fred's ball of energy, so it was really fun. Yeah, so actually, th- th- this is sort of related to the to the next uh, trivia question here, which is um, who is who who have been our most frequent guests? I think it's Vitalik. How many times has he been on? Five times. Uh, Meher says no. Meher says no. Who who is our most frequent guest? Trent. Really. Uh, <laughs> Could wow. be, I mean, both could be true. Any, anybody I else? Any other guesses? Martin's also been on a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. He has. I'm going to throw in a guess. I don't know if it's right, but maybe Goon. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I think Vitalik. So, so actually, a lot of these answers are true. So Vitalik has been on six times. All right. Goon has also been on six times. Mm-hmm. Ooh. And this is this Trent. This is your sixth time as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in good company, and I mean, not excluding, of course. Uh, although you know, sh- she was more of a of a host mm-hmm. at sometimes, but Sean Jones, who was a frequent uh, contributor to the show in the early days, who would come on to talk about you know regulation and the shifting regulatory landscape. Um, yeah, and then, but yeah, Martin Martin's been on. Martin's been on three times. I mean, as a guest, I don't know. Maybe as a host, also he's been on as a host once or twice. Before this, okay. before this call, I was uh, reviewing some of the episodes, and the early episodes from Gwyn were on on Consensus and really fun. I always loved those. But then there was yeah. the one he had with um, with Vlad um, on the worries about the DAO. This was before the DAO hack. So after the DAO hit 150 million, but before the DAO hack. So that was a really pivotal episode. A really fun one. Oh yeah, and that episode actually there's also some like funny, yeah, st- how that turned out. The funny story around that. So, you know, the SEC published this um, paper, right? The first thing they published on crypto, which was basically the DAO is a security, and and they cited that podcast we did with Goon and Vlad Samper <laughs> in that uh, in that paper as evidence that it was a security because they were basically talking about how. You know, it's kind of centralized and you have these curators and they have this kind of control. And uh, yeah, so it's funny how it does ended up being uh, 
you know, cited by the SEC as a the U.S. government case, watches uh, Epicenter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so wow. I, I remember actually the, the week that the Dowhawk was going down, I actually was in Ukraine, not Berlin at the time, and Vlad was there. It was a, and um, so the, him and I were sitting like watching it and like he was having to run away to help, you know, fix things as well. And then at the same time, it was the same week as a Bitcoin happening. So there was, I forget the name, but it was one of the Bitcoin Maxi guys, a really interesting dude. And, you know, he was really excited with the happening, but there's also this Dow and, you know, uh, from him, it was a bit of schadenfreude as well. But overall, a highly interesting week uh, that week. Um, you know, happening was 10% of the stuff. The hack was uh, the big thing. But also the, the outcome, Ethereum Classic was already mentioned all this, right? Um, a lot of really interesting things. And that was really sort of when Ethereum started to grow up um, in a good way, right? You've got to have trial by fire to really be successful. So um, it's I think it's really cool how the community came through. Adam, I wanted to ask you as well, like, I mean, like in your in your podcast journey, you know, what has been the most significant or transformative change that you've seen uh, in the last like 11 years of, of doing crypto podcasts? The biggest one is definitely the move to tokens. Uh, if you remember back in, you know, when when you guys were just getting started, this was right after MasterCoin had come out with the first meta token layer, uh, which was awful. <laughs> and it was right before I think um, Counterparty had come out. So these are both uh, meta layers for tokens on top of Bitcoin. And before that, the norm was if you want to create a token, you need to figure out miners, you need to figure out distribution. And there was just all this complexity and infrastructure that went along with it. And after that, it was not the case. It was different economics that in, that uh, unlocked a lot of stuff. So that was a really significant one. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite things that I did there was for a couple of years we ran it as a full uh, kind of news desk, um, and you know did investigative journalism and stuff like that. And I remember in the run up to the final collapse of Mount Gox, I spent uh, I think in uh, a very late evening working with uh, Charlie Shrem and uh, Napoleon. Can't remember his last name, uh, but basically ripping through all of the documentation around Mount Gox and trying to figure out what it all meant, you know, in kind of the, the I think it was a few weeks before the thing actually fully collapsed because there had been all sorts of rumors circulating and stuff like that or a bunch of things like that, you know, that just like those early days, there's something so fundamentally fun and interesting to me about mm -hmm. doing journalism in areas of really advanced technology that nobody understands and like that's true about technology generally, but when you're talking about something like crypto, you're really talking about really complex, you know, like multifaceted group dynamics uh, and, you know, leaderless systems, right? Like leaderless systems are just wild things. <laughs> um, and so it's uh, again like, uh, yeah, I mean, like even outside of just crypto, like that's probably some of the most fun journalistic experiences that I've had is just kind of trying to run mm -hmm. that stuff down and figure out what's real and what's not, because it's so hard to tell. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the token stuff that you guys were doing really early on, let's talk people like I, I've told that story. I, I've talked about that with people like so many times recently. I mean, because like there, there's this new I mean, I guess it is started to become more productized, like this idea of providing some sort of a token or nft for like doing some kind of action so it could be like interacting with a brand or listening to a podcast or something like that there's like you know lots of products kind of entering the market space um that that do sort of similar things and 
you know, I always think back to like this LTV coin and this magic word that we used to have on the podcast. Like Brian, you probably remember this, but like we, we used to do this magic word at every episode. So we'd say like, okay, today's magic word is I don't know, pickles or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, not pickles, but <laughs> miners or like Bitcoin or, you know, transaction fees or whatever. And then at, you know, if you listen to the episode, you, you take that magic word, pop it into the less topic website, and then you'd get some tokens um, as like proof of listenership. And like, this is such a, I mean, this was in 2014 and this was such a forward thinking idea. Um, <laughs> and I think maybe it was just too early, uh, you know, for, for, for how, how the market was evolving, but like one of the, one of the things very innovative. Yeah. One of the things that I've, uh, like for better. So I'm super experimental as you guys know, right? Like we did all kinds of stuff that was just absolutely ridiculous. Like we built a whole, uh, token powered content management platform, right. And content, uh, uh, like expression platform mm. uh, that had tokens baked into it at kind of a base level in 2014. And so like that was so fun to do. But the the thing about it that I think is challenging around all this stuff is that there was this really brief period of time where all of this stuff was possible, but before it became obvious that there was so much money attached to it and there was so much ability to do that. And, you know, we gave away that token explicitly because I was concerned that later on it would be something that would be yeah. used mm -hmm. against us. And so, again, like our token had an end of life in 2017 where it was retired and changed out for another token. Like none of like no projects do any of this <laughs> mm -hmm. stuff even today. So, no, it's again, like the, the greatest privilege that I, I had in kind of all of this was being in a position where not only could I explore my ideas, but I could do so at scale with other content creators and with a community of a couple tens of thousands of people, you know, at a time before the, the money came in and just muddied the water. There's nothing wrong with the money. But it does complicate things in ways that they just weren't complicated when we were working on stuff. Our problems were that we were too early, but everything else, I'm pretty pretty happy with how we got right. Yeah, yeah, really? yeah. No, it's yeah, it's interesting how the tokens changed everything. Like, I, I mean, I remember like you know being very involved in Ethereum early on, and uh, and I was just like, okay, but you, so you're gonna build these apps on Ethereum, and at the same time, you have all these, you know issues with user experience and scalability and all that. And I was like, this is going to take forever until you're actually going to be able to build sort of consumer grade applications on that. And of course that's true, right? We still basically, even today, right? Just sort of on the verge of being able to do that. Uh, but of course, what I totally did not see, and I, I think hardly anybody saw at the time was how tokens just kind of accrue so much value even when there's little usage and the app isn't really there and that it can then you know basically keep projects mm -hmm. funded for years and years building all kinds of stuff like before there's really yeah, a product market fit and i think that's mm -hmm. of course for ethereum was absolutely crucial right otherwise mm -hmm. this, uh, ethereum would have died right uh or uh yeah wouldn't have made it and yeah i think that was super interesting it's a blessing and a curse, right? It, it's a blessing in that if you're a visionary founder who really has something to build out, it means that you have a bit more time to get product market fit before you run out of cash. And the, the curse is that you have a bit more time, which means that you might not uh, have that sense of urgency, right? And the way to, um, to, to resolve that is simply work, strive really hard to maintain that sense of urgency, even though you have the cash, right? Um, and you know, if you're a startup founder, I mean, you guys all know this too, 
cash is king, right? Um, there's usually a harrowing uh, point in the time of the startup where it's really, really tough to, to get through. So um, tokens actually really help to to get you past that, right? And the good news is, you know, maybe it took a few years from the time of the ICOs to the stuff that got built. But think about from 2017 until 2020, 2022 uh, now, um, a lot of the, the really visionary stuff did get built, right? That took a lot of infrastructure building and took a few years. But that happened because um, of, you know, there was enough funding um, that came and there was enough runway and roadmap and it happened. And of course, there was all the scams and whatnot, but a lot of really great stuff did get built precisely because of the token funding. Yeah. And, and of course, you also have the situation, right, that if you have a good enough story and the token gets enough value, you can really keep this thing going of like having something you're working on that actually doesn't have any traction, any usage for like years and years and years, right? And even today, right, we still have projects that are like, you know, top 10, top 20 assets with billions and billions of market cap that basically have, you know, zero usage. Uh, How many devs does light, light chain Litecoin have now? Is it half a dev still? It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Well, I'm surprised some people haven't hijacked that yet. I think that we learned a couple of things from it all, which is one, being early is really, really valuable because anything that comes after the earliest, the earliest success point has to compete with all of the other things that want to displace it. And that's just in practice really, really, really hard to do. The other thing is that the the one of the challenges with the money is that, and this was especially true early on, I think it's a little less true today, although not entirely true, is that the value of what was raised appreciated so quickly that it made it so that people who were building stuff, yes, they could take their time, but they could also just do nothing. And that was fine too, as far as like the deal that they had made with people. And there are many early projects that fall into that bucket. And again, like the, I was involved with some of the, the early Ethereum stuff and wound up getting kicked out of the, uh, the, the early Skype group chats. Uh, because when we were talking about the pre-mine and stuff like that, right, the founder allocations and stuff, I was like, guys, this is just a bad idea. Like you're, you're creating centralized problems, stuff like that, not well received, exited from all of that. <laughs> so, I mean, like, you know, like I think for all the good that was done by the funding mechanism early on, we thought about it as crowdfunding. We thought about it as a pure analog to taking a crowdfunding campaign which has this indefinite period of time after you funded the thing before you actually have something that is a thing. And sometimes people just needed to, you know, sell that because they no longer were in a position where they could have it. Sometimes people missed the campaign. And so adding tokens made a lot of sense there. But the money, when the money just stacks up so, so high, just changes the incentive structure. And again, for every project that's out there that, you know, really delivered on something that was interesting, I would argue that there's probably a hundred projects out there that just took the money and did nothing, <laughs> whether through, you know, malicious intent, naivete or or whatever, like the hit rate for that relative to money, I would constitute, I would consider almost all of it to be malinvestment <laughs> that we just got lucky on a few times. So I don't know, man, the years have really made me quite jaded as far as uh, just kind of the incentive structure as it as it all goes. But I am happy overall with kind of the way that the things have gone and the fact that it's still around. Again, there were lots of scenarios where this got much more aggressive, much faster, and none of those really manifested much to my mm -hmm. pleasure. So I know you guys have many guests. Um, and with that, I will say thanks for having me on here. And thanks for having me on so many epicenter uh, episodes. I, I, I love this show. I listen to it all the time. And it's really awesome, great to be a part of it. And congrats again on, on, your, on your anniversary. 
Thanks, Thank ben. you, Trent. Yeah, awesome. and looking forward to many more episodes with you, Trent. Absolutely. <laughs> and we also have someone new on. Sebastian from Hopper just joined. Hi, Sebastian. Hey, Frederica and team, and uh, I guess happy birthday, everyone. And <laughs> yeah, thank you for being uh, my personal educator on this journey for almost 10 years. Um, it's been invaluable. You know, I just thought it's so weird because podcasts exist in all spaces, right? But in all spaces, you also have this competitor called universities. <laughs> Nowadays, maybe there's some university stuff out there, but back when I joined, there were no universities. There was like Epicenter was the only way we could learn about crypto and not get scammed. Like the second part was kind of important. So yeah, that's that's been pretty valuable for me at least. When did you start listening to the shows? Huh? Actually, for me, it's I, I was thinking about it before. It was hard. It was kind of hard to tell because like I was talking to Meher a lot, who you know was. I always say personally responsible for dragging me into this crypto rubbish hole. And then, um, yeah, Meher, Meher was telling me about this epicenter thing. And I think it was in late 2014 that it became, I, I did kind of my weekly shopping and my weekly shopping took exactly two hours, which was exactly the time to listen to two episodes. <laughs> so that was good because I had quite some catching up to do. And then, uh, yeah, it was, that was when I started. Mm-hmm. That's a very long weekly shop. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that uh, happens when you live in a countryside. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, maybe it was also two hours because that's simply how long it took to listen to two episodes. episodes. Meher, how, how did you guys uh, know each other? I didn't realize that, there was, that Meher was the connection here. Yeah, he was doing a PhD in Basel. Oh, okay. Exactly. Got it. It was yeah. it was the Basel connection, the, the Zurich connection, and um, yeah, all the all the funny ideas that that Mayor had and many people had back in the days. So and it all sounded kind of crazy, right? There was Bitcoin, and there was all these crazy ideas. And I also remember, like, I think Mayor was the first person who I witnessed to be like properly obsessed with something. And the first thing that I saw Mayor being obsessed with was actually Maker. And like there was this time when Mayor would join all these calls and listen in about like what's going on at Maker and like nobody could really find out what was going on because early on it was, was a bit obscure. It still is very obscure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A few days ago, Sebastian and I were talking about how the LLMs would have, would struggle at understanding the Maker code base. <laughs> Maker and Orbit code bases are the hardest for LLMs. That's my claim. <laughs> but so it's for humans, right? So maybe, maybe you know, LLMs are the way to make uh, these these kind of uh, very funny code bases available to some other minds, except <laughs> for the handful of people who coded it. So I mean, uh, you mentioned the episode that you like that, that that was the first episode you listened to. I guess like this 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 is interesting. I, I want to ask like Mahir and Frederica as well. What are like what's your like most memorable episode that you listened to before you joined as a host? For me, I, I think it was uh, like in 2017, like the one with Jimmy Song, and it just like explained like scaling wars 101. I think that was just like so helpful to just be like, okay, here's like the you know anyone who needed like understanding scaling wars i just sent them that that episode because it's like okay so one hour just like obviously you know somewhat pretty biased view but it was a good uh explanation of scaling wars 
I hate listening to podcasts. Segway. <laughs> you had it here first, guys. <laughs> I've never listened to an episode of podcast. I think. <laughs> I, I, I can't believe you waited 10 years to tell us this. <laughs> Maybe it's good you didn't say that earlier, Meher. <laughs> oh, I'm looking for an opportunity to fit it in. <laughs> I go read the white paper. Now I go read the code base. <laughs> wow. the last podcast episode I remember hearing is a medical one, but I've never heard episode like yeah. <laughs> no, you were listening to Epicenter like before you before you joined us, no? I think so. That's what he told you. <laughs> That's what he told us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe I might have scouted like Epicenter. Okay. Okay. You know, what's up or something. But, you know, hi. Yeah. Then listening. I remember I... the jingle that plays in the beginning because you don't hear <laughs> that as a host recording it. Would you recognize it, Meher? <laughs> so, so speak, speaking of jingles speaking of jingles this this uh this will lead lead us to like the next uh trivia question here uh, does anybody remember the title of the pilot episode i remember you were called epicenter bitcoin at the time this is true this is true as I get constantly them. reminded by uh, every time I go to a Bitcoin conference, like people are like, you know, I still like Epicenter, but you know, you got sold out by dropping Bitcoin from the name. And, and I'm like, oh, our Twitter handle still says BTC in it. So, you know. So, so just, just one thing here. So I have here uh, the, the, int the first message that Meher sent us. Uh, and it was like, hi, Brian and Sebastian. I love your show in interviewing style. <laughs> so you were listening <laughs> or just tailoring himself to yeah. get a job <laughs> yeah. no he was proposing himself as a mm. uh, so you were working on this hyperledger we were involved yes. in this project called hyperledger which oh, has man. nothing to do with the later thing called hyperledger that ended up you know the centralized oh. blockchain stuff <laughs> and uh, it was some sort of I mean here you'll be able to describe it more but you you were basically uh, proposing us to do an episode about this. And uh, yeah, I think that was like some point in 2015. Well, that would have gone over better than, well, I've never listened to your show before, but I'd like <laughs> and to I hate podcasts. About... <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like to go on and talk about the project I'm working on. <laughs> so good job. Good job. That's an excellent <laughs> approach. <laughs> so, so does anybody remember the, the name of the first, the pilot episode? No, I'm well, sorry. <laughs> why don't why don't we just play it then? <laughs> Regulation. This is Epicenter Bitcoin, a weekly podcast about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. The pilot episode, recorded December twentieth, twenty thirteen. Regulation and the future of Bitcoin. This episode of Epicenter Bitcoin is brought to you in collaboration with the Let's Talk Bitcoin podcast. Who did that intro? I think that was that, that, that was my attempt at a radio voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
wow. I wish I recognized you. Yeah, I didn't recognize that it was you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... We start all episodes like that now. Yeah, that's right. That was that was the theme music for the first couple of episodes, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think, I think, and when I go back and listen to myself from, from back then, I, I think... I think my 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 Canadian accent used to be much much stronger <laughs> for some reason, but um, yeah, that was the first episode. Uh, the, the regulation of the future of Bitcoin. Um, I have a semi trivia question here. So at some point, you yes. started doing doing ads in the show, but these ads are typically not very you know not not very crypto scammy ads like. What were the worst applicants that you got for like doing ads on the show? Hmm. I mean, we got a lot of applicants for doing ads on the show. I mean, like I, I think during during the the ICO uh, kind of like period, we we were getting a lot of queries to do ads on the show. Uh, our our very does anybody remember our uh, <laughs> so Bogdan, who's our who who does uh, social you know community and uh, and, and, and and sales is commenting as they don't even ask. Uh, but uh, no, but our, our first sponsor, our first sponsor was Shapeshift, and I mean this was Shapeshift before Eric Voorhees was even uh, like was it? Out. I like, I think it's easiest putting on your slippers. I I, I, I I may I may maybe I'm wrong here, but I think the first sponsor was uh, was Fairly. That's right. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you, you're right. So it, it was uh, fairly the first one. Yeah. What is fairly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair so fairly was the prediction market. Yeah. That uh, it, it was like uh, by Martin and uh, Stefan, right? Yeah. Who, of course, you know, founders mm. of uh, co-founders. Wait, it was of pre. Stafford. There was pre gnosis. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there was pre gnosis. So basically, oh, wow, so it was a centralized site. Yeah, as opposed to a protocol. Yeah. So yeah, the Gnosis connection goes way, way, way back then. Martin actually met Joe <laughs> wow. at, at, at a Bitcoin meetup in New York, and he, and he was telling him about Fairlay. And Joe said, this sounds cool. Um, wh- why, don't, why don't you join Consensus and build the same thing on Ethereum that's, that's not live yet, but it's going to be live soon and it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. This is how Martin and Stefan became employees two and three of Consensus. <laughs> hmm. Wait, and Fairly is still running? I'm looking on the site right now. It says it has like 32 Bitcoin of volume in the last 24 hours. Oh, yeah, it was sold it at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's you guys so never got the, uh, wow. the cloud miners were always the ones that that most got in my uh, like that was that was the worst advertisers, right? Because the cloud miners were almost always scams because mm-hmm. they'd just be like, mm-hmm. basically, they would just run a Ponzi scheme. But then they would be like, "No, we're 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 t- putting your money into buying hardware, and then now you're going to get the sealed from the hardware." I think eventually some of them came out that were better, but the first couple of years when everybody wanted to do mining, that was like these were the people pre ICO who had money to spend on marketing because they didn't actually have a product most of the time behind it, and everybody wanted. It. So <laughs> that was my memory of the yeah, worst. <laughs> I, I remember I remember getting some queries also like talking to some cloud mining folks and I, I think Brian you were like no this doesn't make any sense yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean the issue uh, was even even when the cloud mining thing was like honest or something that generally you know you know you'd basically pay some amount in you know dollars to then buy some amount of hash rate over some time like a year or two years and stuff and then if you sort of calculate like how many bitcoins you got from that, you know, generally you're always better off just like buying the Bitcoin 
upfront instead of putting in this money to you know buy the stream of bitcoin over time so it was always like this is like under what there was a, there's always like no scenario in which you'd actually be better off doing this cloud mining thing but so somehow they could still like sell it everybody now, wanted to do it <laughs> that's and, why and I remember sometimes yeah i remember sometimes they say well you know but you can uh you know you can sort of like maybe just bill it through your company and say it's like cloud expenses or and then you keep the bitcoin out of the company or you know basically some kind of you know scammy approaches that maybe made it make sense but yeah so i think i remember for me like it wasn't the cloud mining but i remember one of my early exposures to bitcoin was with like you know 21 or were they called 21 back then i think yeah yeah they were like like pitching like oh here's like this like raspberry pi that you're going to like plug in and like your you know your toaster is going to be mining and everything yeah, yeah your toaster was the craziest thing yeah like, how many how many hours a day does the average human use a toaster <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. that was that was one of my that was one of my first moments when i was like starting to challenge what i hear and yet it didn't make sense because there were all these very smart people right and they all were like they, they were speaking like very eloquently and i'm wondering how many minutes i use a toaster in an average day but yeah anyway i think that's part of the crypto education journey the water heater was always, always the better sense. path <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like water heaters. Yeah, well, one of the first Bitcoin conferences I went to was in Amsterdam in like maybe October 2013. Like Vitalik was selling his Bitcoin magazine there. And then we had, uh, I met Adam back at that conference. It was his first Bitcoin event where they, I think he didn't have any Bitcoin at the time. So he was sort of like watching from the sidelines, but I had dinner with him. And many Rosenfeld, who's also been on the show sometimes, he was kind of the original Bitcoin guy in Israel. And uh, and during the dinner, the two of them went on and on and this like crazy tangents. And and but I remember that was the one thing Adam was talking a lot about that yeah, like at some point the Bitcoin mining economics is going to be that yeah, you're going to mine Bitcoin with your heating device at home and <laughs> things like that. Yeah, I mean, to, yeah. to answer your, your your question, Sebastian, like the come to come back to the sponsors, I, I think one thing that we always try to to do is, you know, throughout ten, the 10 years was also always be very, very mindful of the sponsors we, we got on the show. And like, you know, you know, even in the beginning, you know, like Brian and I would would talk quite a bit about like whether or not a sponsor was good for the show if we were using if we, if we would use or recommend this product and and um yeah i sometimes joke about how like had we accepted all of the money that people were trying to throw at us during the ico period uh we probably would have made like quite a bit of money you know but <laughs> it just didn't feel right and and i think like uh, it was the right decision to like just be very very careful with with sponsors especially like in this space no, I mean, honestly, especially over such a long time periods, I think it, you did an impressive job there at not selecting the FTXs of the world, right? It hasn't always been obvious. Let's also be honest about that, right? Like the biggest, the, the most painful Ponzi's were the ones that were not obvious. Um, yeah, no, kudos on that. I mean, we did have one, we did have one that was like, 
it was this guppies thing. I don't know if you remember this, Brian. We we did this this these ads. I thought it's a thing that Stephen guppies makes dating app, off and it's not an actual. Thing. We didn't have him as a sponsor. Yeah. I think we had him as a. We did have him. Yes, we did have oh, really? him as a sponsor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, it wasn't the guppies. No, no, no. We did have the, we had the guppies on, but we didn't release the episode. But we did this thing called Gems, which was kind of like yeah. a social app. But it wasn't a scam. But it just they were doing kind of a sale hey. ICO, and it failed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was not the. It was. I mean, it, I think I still have some. Kind of an in, interesting <laughs> idea. So, yeah, it was yeah. An interesting idea. Yeah. Guys, I know Adam has to dash. Adam, it is. It's been so lovely uh, to have you on for this. And yeah, and maybe one day we can meet in person. <laughs> yeah, that's a distinct possibility, guys. Yeah. You're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. Uh, again, you know, like. It's uh, it's important. I'm happy to see that you're you're being so successful. So, have a great next ten years. <laughs> thanks so much, and thanks for your Appreciate role in all of this. Yeah, I'll see you in ten years. So, <laughs> <laughs> cool. And we also have two new guests, um, Griff and Lev Terrace. Hang on, let me bring you guys on. Hey guys, GM, GM. Hey, hey. Wonderful to see you. Hey, all. hello. Guys, as I'm going to head out, uh, now there's people who are funding public goods and uh, supporters Wait. of privacy before, and local software. Before you go, I wanted to say something super juicy that I don't know mm -hmm. if you ever knew this. And I, I don't I don't know how Lefteris is even going to feel about me saying this. But uh, back during the day, so obviously Lefteris and I were part of Slocket and, and the DAO and managed the DAO hack through the White Hack group. But uh, the two of the top, or sorry, there were... There was the the top person that was predicted to be the DAO hacker back in the day was that we were told was actually you, Sebastian, and Maher and Andre Vilka. Back in the day, this was these you guys were the top suspects. I heard that. My hair? Yeah. I did not well, know you were. I heard that. There, there was people accusing. There was people accusing me of that, and I was like, "Guys, I actually wasted five ETH on like spamming the network on running this thing that Stephen Chuel was just sending this <laughs> thing. Guys, run this. We need to like counterattack the network, and I wasted five precious ETH on it, which back then was <laughs> way less money than it is nowadays, obviously. Um, so yeah, it was a good cover story. Is it still a live hypothesis or is it dead because we know mm -hmm. who the hacker was? Yeah, that's a good question. But when I first met Sebastian, I I think that this is what you asked me, right? Like why why the yeah. heck would, uh, uh, yeah, when we met in, in person in, in Friedrichshain in, in Berlin, he asked me, so yeah. I, some people said that uh, I'm, <laughs> that, uh, you know, uh, uh, the hacker was from, uh, what was even the company name? Validity Labs? Validity, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. From us back in the days, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't remember where the theory came from, but there was a theory. Yeah, I want to say it was like uh, it was one of the exchanges. They said that somehow some gas money was connected mm -hmm. to Validity Labs. That's possible, but yeah, that's funny. Actually, it's really funny. <laughs> thanks for thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> but you're also in good company because Alexei was also the other suspect, right? Alexei yeah. Akunov. So uh... I remember I, I I I've heard those theories before. I never heard Alexei being uh, the 
No, I, I think Alexei was the first to post about it on Reddit. Yeah, he'd, he'd posted like something funny is go, uh, going on, like the yeah. contracts are being drained or something. And yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah and he's like, true. you know, at the time, like the amount of people who like knew the EVM well enough to find it, a much smaller set than it is today. And Alexei was definitely like in that set. So. Awesome, great. Anyway, awesome to to to, to bring up good stories. Sebastian's claim to fame, not the DAO hacker. Not the DAO hacker, exactly. Anyway, thank you so much for having me on. And uh, yeah, all the best for everyone involved. See you around. Thanks, Sebastian. So after accusing so. him of uh, stealing million dollars... <laughs> uh... <laughs> No, it was yeah. That, that was a very nice start in the in the conversation. Hey, by the way, <laughs> I remember the first time I met Sebastian. It was like it was it was like we were uh, at a conference, and it was me, Dory, and Lefteris, and we're all talking to him. And it was like, oh my god, we're talking to the Dow hacker. It's so awesome. <laughs> I, did that. I I wouldn't have thought to be Sebastian to kind of be the person who kind of gives gives off like this super villain vibe, but uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't. It, so I actually it wasn't the Sebastian. It was, and the, the, there was no villain kind of thing. It was another uh, younger guy from Paridity Labs, uh, and it was Poloniex um, uh, that uh, suggested that. Um, I don't remember his name, but. Uh, particular guy who was uh, talking to Stefan Toal and uh, yeah but it was pretty fucked up like uh, it's really in in, in, um, in the Cryptopians the book that um, in uh, Shanghai after uh, the hack uh, the guy that was suggested as being the DAO hacker by Polonix was in, in DevCon 2 in Shanghai and he talked to me and I was like oh my god I'm talking to the guy that supposedly was a DAO hacker. And he was saying, yeah, well, you know, the DAO hacker probably also feels very bad for what he did because he just got into the situation. It was very difficult and for him. I was like, oh my God, it's him. It has to be him. Look at how he's defending the DAO hacker. But yeah, in the end, it was all just stuff. Even though, as, as, uh, as was mentioned before, who is a DAO hacker? We just have this other theory. Um uh, that that Laura posted in the book, but well, mm-hmm. it's not possible to prove anything with a hundred percent certainty, right? So I guess we will always remain uh, with this question. <laughs> yeah, when you guys mentioned Poloniex, I can see why. So because like the DAO hack happened, and the first thing like when I came to know of the DAO hack, I actually sold a large chunk of my ether on Poloniex. So maybe it's like that, uh, that might have triggered them to have such a hy- hy- hypothesis. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the hypothesis was pretty simple, uh, that they had taken a huge uh, sort position that was being built over the days that the hack was um, happening and that they executed it right after the hack. But let's be honest, like this is extremely weak evidence. And mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, the price movement it was really a time to sort. If, I, I didn't know anything about trading back then, but now that I see how trading works, I mean, it had just doubled in price in a f- week or so. So I, I guess it's a sorter's paradise. So just from that, uh, saying that, okay, these guys must be it. Yeah, I don't think so. 
I don't know. I, I like it better when the identity is a mystery. I feel like the Dow hacker is like, you know, it's on like Satoshi, like the Dow hacker, like he's like <laughs> core anons of crypto history. Like it's just better for it to remain faceless. Well, the yeah. Dow hacker did prove that there's a distinction with like code, code is law and social consensus is, mm-hmm. is law. So important distinction. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a very, a very big um, contribution to the ecosystem. By the DAO hack. <laughs> I mean, so, I'll, I'll add my DAO hack story, which is uh, I was not, I was barely involved at at the time, but I, I, you know, I was just really into Bitcoin at the time, and uh, I was at a hackathon that summer in you know 2016, and then I was telling my friend. Uh, I was like, hey, I heard about this like Ethereum thing. Like, I heard you can like build applications and stuff on top of it. Like, you know, we should we should check this out. I mean, because we were like Bitcoiners only at that time. And then so, you know, at the hackathon, we open up Reddit and the entire like page is just talking about like the DAO hack and like, oh, the world is burning. Like, you have to fork the chain. And, and we were like, yeah, this community is crazy. This like, what is this? Like this is some bullshit, and so we like turned it off, and I like didn't look at Ethereum again for like another year. Yeah, you you were saying before that you were an ETH Classic guy. I was an ETH Classic guy for a while. Uh, I, you know, I like the code is law and all that. So, yeah, <laughs> my more specific stance was that I think it was unethical for the Ethereum Foundation to like leverage its ownership of the Ethereum trademark to declare the fork to be the to be Ethereum. My my take was that the classic chain should have kept the name Ethereum and the ticker and then the fork chain should have a new name. Yeah. You know, I'm surprised that more things weren't built on Ethereum Classic, like really sketchy things like a dark market or you know, it's like yes. all of a sudden you had this chain that's like, oh yeah, hey, this is claim. No one's gonna mess with this. Okay. Yep. Like Let's do illegal things. Like it never happened. I feel like crypto has, in general, this like really like nefarious outlook, or people think that it's so bad. But the real builders mm-hmm. generally don't build bad things. I mean, there was a huge opportunity there. Yeah, never that was like, exactly. That was part of my thesis on ETC as well, but never panned out. Yeah, even even the you know like the, the criminal smart contract paper, the assassination markets, all of these dystopian ideas that I've come across have actually never been built. And yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting observation about actually humanity that actually most of us are either trying to build interesting things or are just trying to scam and just make a little money and just switch off. None of us are trying to do like the really evil stuff. Like where are the Professor Moriarty's of the world? Like <laughs> there's a serious lack of Professor Moriarty's. Of the world, of the supervillains. <laughs> I, I mean, my thesis would be here also that you know, if you wanted to build like I don't know, dark market, I don't know, assassination market or something like that, well, privacy really has to be like completely impenetrable, and and that's just not the case, right? And and then I think, of course, you also see. Mm. You just see how hard it is to build anything anonymously. And uh, I mean, Satoshi managed it, which is still like astonishing. Uh, that that feels like, I mean, obviously the intellectual achievement of Bitcoin is, is like immense, but like him having 
having been able to do this mm-hmm. without leaking his identity in any way is also just like incredible. And you know, I think people have not been even when they tried, right? Mostly they fail. Uh, even on things like that don't get the kind of attention that that Bitcoin did. So I still think in the end it it will it has to happen, right? We will have to see things like dark markets that are like fully decentralized and all that stuff, but. Just yeah, but it, it, you're right. I think it is surprising that it hasn't happened. So you're, you're like it's down to logistics complexity of staying anonymous, and if that is solved, we'll have a lot of super villains crop up. I, I mean, of course, you of course you're absolutely right that like most people don't do this kind of thing, right? Most people want to build like big things and stuff like that. But obviously, I mean, look at dark markets, right? Like they they exist, right? And they keep making new ones and stuff, right? So. But I guess, well, I mean, for dark markets, I guess also like one of the main business models of dark markets seems to be the exit scam, right? Where people uh, put in, uh, you know, trip Bitcoin or, or Monero or something into something that's basically a hidden centralized website. And then, you know, they can trade drugs. And then at some point when enough people have been using it, they just shut down the site and run away with the coins, right? And of course, if you decentralize it, actually, like you can't do that. So... I guess, mm-hmm. but but in the end, I, I yeah, like you would expect that thing to happen. And then, of course, it also something we did mm-hmm. episodes about, right? Mm-hmm. There was the hackathon mm-hmm. project called Dark Market mm-hmm. by like Amitaki mm-hmm. at some point, and then and then they even ended up getting. Well, there was a project Open Bazaar, right? That kind of took this and ended up getting venture funding from like Union Square Ventures and A16Z, like high you know, very reputable funds. And, and of course, I think the expectation was, you know, that, okay, someone's probably going to like fork this and build a dark market because that's obviously the biggest use case. I mean, the biggest market probably for something like that, at least in the short term. But yeah, never happened. I do want to say though that um, I think we used to think that mm-hmm. being anonymous is way easier than it actually turned out to be. So I think kind of back in the days of the DAO hack, people people did assume they were anonymous to a large extent, which I think this kind of predated like, you know, all the chainalysis like companies of the world, right? So, and uh, then if you don't have very sophisticated block explorers and Nansen and whatever, it's really difficult to actually, uh, to actually uh, trace everything fully on chain. So... I think there was a reasonable expectation that things would be private and things still didn't get built. So maybe something more deep-seated here. Yeah, I feel that um, privacy is probably the... It's really unfortunate that like we still don't have reasonable options for privacy in the space. I mean... Uh, we'll, we'll get them. So this is something that I, I, I am absolutely bullish on but, for the next but, 10 years. <laughs> So with, with um, ZK proofs and FAG and MPC, I think kind of we're going to get there. Yeah. And we also have Felix on now. So Felix is the late host. Hey, Felix. <laughs> Hi, thanks. Thanks for having me and congrats to 10 years to all of you guys. So happy that I was able to join as a host and take over some of the episodes that maybe Sunny would have done otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a burn. <laughs> Very overheard one. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So yeah, Felix, uh, what's your um, what's your most memorable episode? I was looking earlier, and it mm-hmm. looks like you've done well. You, you know, you ha- you haven't done as much as Sunny, so you still have some catching up to do. But you've done uh, something like twenty five episodes, maybe twenty nine. Oh, uh, wow, what's okay. been your favorite so far? Um, yeah, I really like the TYDX episode I did with Brian. Um, it was like just very, yeah, clean episode. <laughs> we kind of covered everything. It was very. Yeah, a good, great product, you know, big success. And we kind of went over everything, inspiring, like, sort of story from Anthony and, like, sort of the journey of DYDX. And yeah, really enjoyed that episode. Yeah. Who would you who would you like to, to, to get on in the next couple of months? Oh, yeah, I think Gito. I was trying to get Lucas on, actually. But then they were way too busy with the uh, airdrop and, and everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I guess it's, it's kind of me being like in this staking niche <laughs> of epicenter. Um, and I, I think now, I guess, yeah, many people are probably interested, you know, what's, how is Gito doing? Like, because it got like much bigger, much more attention. Right. And, um, yeah, maybe like kind of a counter to this, like sort of the Lido and flashbots episode that we also had with Stefan and Vasily back then. So could be a very cool one. Excited for that one. Yeah. Uh, uh, Griffin left Terrace. I want to ask you, because I mean, you guys are like so OG into Ethereum and, you know, like still very much into that space. Like how much, how much do you pay attention? How, how much attention do you give to like other ecosystems or like whether it's Cosmos or Solana or like, you know, maybe some of the stuff happening over on, on Polygon or some other ecosystems? Like do you, pay any attention at all to what's going on there? Or are you just like still very focused on Ethereum? Uh, it's a Ethereum alignment question. I can smell it. <laughs> <laughs> I can smell it. Yes, it's a trap. For me, I it's very difficult. Like so many different stuff pop up. It's uh, impossible to follow. Um, but I personally try to look at all the different ecosystems, but I can't even claim to know anything as well as I do Ethereum, which is kind of sad. Like, being honest, I look the most uh, where I have uh, uh, interest in or a bug in. <laughs> so if I have lots of tokens of something, I'm well interested to see if <laughs> if that bug is going to be worth anything. Um and also, because I'm doing Rotki, I am trying to focus uh, on uh, everything that people uh, ask for, which besides EVM chains would be um, well, Cosmos and Substrate. So these are our two biggest tasks. And then there is uh, some people who do who want also Definity. And then Solana. But I I don't know anything about Solana, though I would like to find more time. And, like It's also interesting. Like I really like everything. But... No time. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of like Lefteris. I mean, I definitely chase my bags. Uh, no, but uh, also, I, I, I follow more of like the region space. So region network, I, I, I'm, I follow relatively closely, and I'm always watching what's going on. And Ixo in Cosmos also I was checking them out. But um, but un- unless it's so I'm. Like Solana, I haven't seen any region projects on Solana. I, there probably are, but I don't know. But actually, Giveth is going to be one. We're going to integrate Solana 
um, so that you can donate on Giveth because I don't, I didn't, I think there's an opportunity there. So, you know, there's not a donation platform that I know of there. So, hey, why not? Um, I, I wish I followed, I, I followed Polkadot in, in the, in, in that Web3 Foundation space early on, but I haven't seen a whole lot develop there. Um, so mostly I follow in the EVM space because that's where I know people who can do cool things. And that's definitely where the regen space is. I'm very close with Polygon, Optimism, and Arbitrum, and and uh, Public Goods Network, and all the L2s. So uh, I, I consider all of that Ethereum, though, like even Polygon. I mean, if it's EVM, you know, Ethereum is the E, right? So uh, I don't I don't know if that should really count. You know, Lefteris talked about alignment earlier. Um, do you do you think that? You know everything will that will converge to Ethereum, and basically, like all of the other ecosystems will borrow security from Ethereum in one way or another, whether through restaking or or um, or mesh security or some other sort of like novel security mechanisms. I do not. I I, I do think that there is going to be a, a power law distribution, but I don't think that there will be a, like everyone uses Ethereum. That would just be dumb. Like, why would we centralize around that? We need diversity in the space. And I also just think there's enough incentives for uh, challengers to always be there. Uh, that's a very good question. It's very difficult to answer uh, because Ethereum has amazing staying power. I would not have imagined that it's so easy. So, so many things are built around Ethereum. And even though other ecosystems really come up with novel ideas and pretty interesting uh, concepts, we seem to still do stuff on the AVM, though it has its flaws. And I, I don't know why we seem to just focus on it a lot more than anything else. About restaking, I really don't know enough to even give an informed opinion. Uh, but from the problems that we have with Ethereum staking, um, some were suggesting that uh, we can do something that I think both Cosmos and and, and the subset ecosystem does. I don't remember the name. But that you are validating your stake to someone um, that probably has a name, I just don't know it, which you cannot do in Ethereum. You have to either uh, stake on your own or do the liquid staking stuff, right? What, what's the name of that thing in, in Cosmos? And that is a good name for delegating your stake, yeah? I mean, the liquid staking stuff in Cosmos or what? Or uh, Just delegation to, to a validator, the... Concept yeah, that doesn't yeah. exist in Ethereum, Yeah, this. So, for example, when I got my ETA, I delegated it to Larry something somewhere uh, for, for staging, right? And with Substrate, it's exactly the same thing. Like, you, If you don't want to run your own validator, you have to... Uh, you have this option of, of delegating the stake. Yeah, yeah, you were uh, you, you, made, you made a bit of a face there while I was asking that question. Like, uh, like maybe you had something to... To add here, I, I, I made a face. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, on on what the question about like ETH alignment, or just uh, yeah, or maybe when when Griff uh, was saying that uh, things wouldn't um, align with Ethereum. Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, I think Ethereum has done a good job of building this community around it. I, I, I mean, I, I've just not, not always been a believer in like multipolar systems. I think that like 
you know, Solana has built quite a bit of a cultural center. I think Cosmos has grown a cultural center. Um, at the end of the day, I honestly just don't, I don't know. I think from a cultural standpoint, I don't know. I just find my, my maybe just like by nature of when I got involved with the space, I just like in my heart, I just like feel like a Bitcoiner. I don't know why. Like if I tell anyone, it's like, you know, and I, I, I feel like part of it is like when I just go talk to like friends and stuff, it's like if I try to pitch them on crypto, people who are not like drinking the Kool-Aid, right? I like, I feel like I can explain Bitcoin so easily and they like get it, right? Like nothing, very else, very little else is like easy to explain. Like I, it's like so hard to explain like ETH. Like I don't think, and you know, I think people just start asking questions that I, you know, I, I I can explain Bitcoin really well, and I can explain like certain DeFi apps really well, right? I mean, obviously, I can explain Osmosis really well and like what the value prop here is, right? But like, you know, if you try to ex- ask me like pitch ETH to a normie, I actually don't know how to like do that. Uh, so I don't know. That's kind of I, I I'm a believer in Bitcoin and I'm a believer in like applications. Yeah, I mean, and I I think that's a really fair stance because Bitcoin has like a very clear application and it is its own application effectively of like decentralized money and it does it really well. But like the other like Ethereum and Solana and Cosmos, I mean, it's just you're talking to normies about why MongoDB is better than another database framework and it it shouldn't matter. Also, why MongoDB is a, uh, you know, $500 billion product. Yeah, I, I, I. Exactly. I, I think in the end, different product these different products will all exist because users don't care. Our tribalism is in our, in the crypto space, and that's like super niche. And yeah. what's going to win is is the applications that are built on top of it that are useful. Yeah. I guess the problem is that you're trying to ex- compare Bitcoin, which is more like a you can you call it an application, right? It's it's easy to understand. While Ethereum, EVM, etc., it's a platform to build apps on so it's it's much harder to explain to a, to a normie cool thank you guys for being here griffin left harris um i know left harris you you're joining us from the middle of nowhere as uh as uh can be seen by your very blocky t- picture and I, I i i can i can i can vouch for the fact that left harris usually usually doesn't look so pixely so um thank you both for coming on um, and it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for uh, allowing us to, you know, participate in your 10th year anniversary, your birthday. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday, guys. We've enjoyed you guys since the very beginning. Thank you for doing all this work. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks so much, guys. Okay, time for our next guests, right? So we have Anna and Sam. Hang on, let me bring you guys on. Hello. Hi. Hey. Hi. So uh, just brief introductions here. Uh, So Anna Rose, who is the host of ZK podcast, also a very popular podcast and one of my favorites. And uh, Sam, who I met a couple of weeks ago in Istanbul, and he had such a crazy story about about, his experience listening to Epicenter. That I just wanted to get him on to tell that story here um, on the on our on our live stream. So yeah, thanks for coming, guys. Cool. Nice to be here. Yeah, my, my first podcast ever. Oh, great! <laughs> nice. There are cool. so many hosts. I when I first joined, <laughs> I thought there was like a ton of guests, but no, it's like it's. Are you guys at six now? Seven, if you count Sunny. Sunny is a sort of you know uh, is a 
depending on the weather host. Uh, but yes. <laughs> well, yeah, Sam, Sam, tell, tell, tell us a bit about yourself and um, sure. yeah, when you started yeah, this so podcast. I, uh, I've worked in TradFi for about 20 years, uh, so I've just gone, I guess you would say, crypto native. Um, I think um, I think the only other one of you that I've met in person may be uh, Sunny. Uh, we actually met, uh, um, you were on my flight back from, uh, from uh, ECC. Uh, we chatted in line. Um, yeah. But um, I started, uh, so I got in the space right around when Federica joined uh, as a co-host. Um, I started the first macro fund that could trade liquid crypto. And um, so my background is in TradFi and, 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 and macro trading, um, you know, kind of from like an economics perspective. And um, I traded the first option on Ethereum you know, back in uh, 2018 when it was at, or 2019 when it was at like 120 bucks. Um, and uh, most recently I ran a crypto for a, uh, one of the largest and oldest global macro funds in the world. And, um, and then um during that period, I um, we invested in Scroll, and um, I have now joined full time as an advisor. Congrats! Yeah. So what's what's this? Um, yeah, tell the story about. Uh, uh, I think it was about. I think it was you. You said you were listening okay. to the episode with uh, Ellie Benzasun. Yeah. So I was telling. So I um, <clears throat> I was telling him that. I oftentimes listen to podcasts on when I'm in the shower and Federica recently interviewed, uh, Ellie and, you know, I was literally, so the, obviously, and I'm listening to it on my phone, which I have like, you know, put up like this and, you know, obviously the sound is not super loud. You've got the water and everything. And she's asking him this very delicate question, which for, I'm a bit of an ETH maxi to the disclosure. And, you know, there is some suspicion within, I think, parts of the Ethereum community about how aligned maybe Starkware may be. And she's asking him this question about where they're posting the data. Uh, and he goes, well, we're posting it to, uh, you know, our this data availability committee, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, so you have another L1. And I literally was like, I, liked, I was like shampooing my hair and I like stopped. And he goes, uh... Well, I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I guess so. And she goes, oh, that's very interesting. And, and then I was waiting for him. And this is where I think it might get a little bit spicy. But I was waiting for him to then turn around and be, if he wanted to snipe better, and be like, well, don't you work for another Alt-L1 as well? Gnosis, is it? Gnosis, an Alt-L1, another L1? But it didn't go in that direction. But it was it was uh, the first time I've heard anybody really challenge him on this, and I thought it was it was very interesting to me. And I related the story. He thought it was funny because I was in the shower at the time. So do you take do you take like uh, ninety minute long showers or like the the full episode or? <laughs> well, you know, I think this sprung out of I think it sprung out because I used to like to go to the sauna and the steam room and take a lot of reading. You know, there's no distractions, there's no TVs, you can't use your phone, right? And so it's just this like you know, this deprivation. And after COVID, you know, during COVID, obviously all the gym shut down and whatever. And, you know, we now we're, you know, during that COVID period and afterwards, it's like, you're just surrounded by your screens or televisions or your phone. And so the, I think the shower became this like deprivation place where like, if I was in the shower, I'd put on something where I could just listen and, you know, your mind's a lot, the whole shower thought thing. So it was, I think that's where it came from, but I'm not sure. Yeah, they get. Do you remember this episode? Do you remember this? Uh, this. What are you talking about? 
and I remember it, it, it was not so long ago, right? Yeah, it was, but, it was actually during Paris. That's when I listened to it during Eats. Okay. But you may yeah, have it wasn't very long ago, but I don't actually remember this specific question. But kind of, uh, I'm I'm all for kind of putting things very plainly. So it's uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, I have to say, you know, I recommend Epicenter. So I've been listening. Probably maybe I started listening like 2016, 2017. But I, I mean, I'm I listen routinely since then, and I refer new tradfi people trying to learn about the space to listen to Epicenter um, and. To also, when they're trying to learn, they'll ask me about a project or something, and I'll say, "Why don't you go find the Epicenter, you know, podcast with that project from maybe it was years ago?" But it's you guys have become almost like a, a reference material. Um, and I think, by the way, I'll give credit to Anna. I listened to her show religiously as well. Oh, um, thanks. Certainly in the ZK space, you play that role. Uh, but for the TradFi people, that's a little they the, the knowledge level is extremely low uh, in TradFi. I can't emphasize this enough. A little bit to Sonny's point, you know, the understanding of what Ethereum is, for example, should, you know, the the the, the really the, the level of understanding is that it's a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin with some utility. And and that's really it. And so I actually think that Epicenter plays a really important role um and uh from an education and introduction standpoint. And I I you know I use it personally as a kind of an encyclopedia of the space, but I refer TradFi people um, as well to you that that way. Well, thank you. Well, <laughs> I guess if we, uh, if we, if we encounter people from TradFi uh, that uh, listen to the podcast, I'll ask them if they come from, mm -hmm. uh, from Sam. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Well, thank, thanks for coming on and telling that story. Um, and yeah, thanks for, thanks for being a loyal listener. Yeah. I guess good segue yeah. to Wait. the other podcast yeah. I was now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. When did you so, get started uh, with CK? It's been a long time as well, no? Yeah, so I was thinking about your questions of like, when did we first, when did I first hear about Epicenter? For sure, it's 2017 for me, probably before we started the show. Um, I know that like, I mean, you guys, you guys were a lot bigger than us back then. You were like the big, we were just like for our, you know, for our friends in the office. It was very, very small. Um, but I know I was for sure a listener by DevCon 2017 in Cancun because Brian, that's when I voice recognized you on a bus and like weirded you out and went over and was like, are you Brian from F like I did that. Yes. I remember. Like, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Girl, like go away. Um, <laughs> and, like you had nowhere to go. It was like this, this bus that was taking us from a place to a place, another place that was like not moving. Anyway. Um, but yeah, that was for sure. So by then, obviously, I'd been listening for a long time. And I was also thinking about what were those guests that like, I remember, I don't know that I that I listened to that would have changed something. And I have a few that I picked out. One was for sure, like, Matter and Alex G. I think I had already had him on my show. But I think it was like a, a, a phase shift in the project that I learned about through Epicenter. I remember the episode with Dankrad in 2021 for some reason that one stands out. And you guys have covered Urbit uh, often, which I still don't understand. Um, but I, I, I always listen to those ones. Brian, this is your chance. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us more yeah. about Urbit. I've listened to that one and I don't understand it either. So. I, I, I can explain it. I can explain it. Brian, you, 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 okay, you, no, you no, let's have Sonny explain it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sonny, what is it? Okay, okay, okay. Do you guys know Secure Scuttlebutt? 
you familiar with Secure Scuttlebutt? Yes. It was a DAG-based social network. Instead of a blockchain, you know, you peer-to-peer gossip with other nodes, and eventually you have this, like, eventually consistent view of the network. It we does also not... did an episode with them. Did you an episode. Dominic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I um, did too, actually. It yeah. does not solve a double spend problem. Episode 290. But because it's a social network, what is a double spend, right? It's just, oh, you told us one person you like to post, another person you dislike to post, like, whatever, right? It doesn't really matter. Um, okay. Secure scuttlebutt on the side for a second. Bitcoin wanted to build this like thing, like, like the centralized money project. And in order to do this, invented a new decentralized data structure called a blockchain, right? And it's like, okay, really fast finality or relatively fast finality and like solves this double spend problem. Ethereum comes along and is like, oh, cool decentralized data structure. What if we put a generalized VM on top of that and like have it run arbitrary applications? I think the best way to think of Urbit is take Secure Scuttlebutt, the decentralized data structure that is Secure Scuttlebutt. It's like, why are we only running a single social network platform on top of this? What if we actually instead slapped a generalized VM on top of this and made it so like, okay, here's a platform that people can build peer-to-peer applications, right? Like, so you have a bunch of people right now trying to build decentralized social networks, right? You have like Farcaster and, you know, Blue Sky and everyone, but right? And everyone's like building specialized P2P like networking, like most P2P dApps don't need a blockchain, right? You don't need global state for most app, for a lot of, social applications. Urbit's take is like, hey, instead of building custom P2P stacks for everything, and like, let's build one OS, and then people can deploy applications on top of that. Hmm. That is Urbit for you. And this scuttlebutt, this gossip part, is that at the core of Urbit's, like, architecture? This sort yeah. of so, 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 way... Yeah, to be clear, Urbit's not... It's not communicating one. everywhere. No. There's no global state. It's just local. Yes. Closer. Okay. Yes. Huh. Another so, way... I think I, I think of like, you know, for Cosmos people to think about it is imagine everyone had uh, their own personal Cosmosm chain. Like I had Sunny chain, you had Anna chain. And then like, you know, we all use IBC to talk to each other. And if I wanted to d- build a messaging app, I would deploy, I would write the Cosmosm contract for it, or the, the smart contract for it. And I would deploy it on my chain and on your chain. And then we send messages over IBC between our chains. Okay. But only there kind of yeah. like not... If you don't need to broadcast everywhere. global state everywhere. Huh. Okay. We need we need Sunny back to do more episodes. <laughs> yeah. I think maybe this is this is kind of uh the petition here. Uh, yeah, another another sort of way of explaining Urbit is the idea that it's it's a sort of system that's where you know the idea is that uh, computation is focused around the personal server, right? So that you have sort of your server and all of your data on your applications live on your server. And then it's like network with other servers, right? So like an application developer develops their app. It gets, you know, shipped to all everyone's server. And then there's like an identity system, peer-to-peer messaging. And then, um, and, and yeah, it has some of this kind of blockchain features, this server, right? In that, um, you know, you can prove all this, you know, it's like deterministic, right? And you can always prove the state. Yeah, if, pe- if people are interested in it, so at at Chorus One, we've been, uh, you know, we've been sort of building a Urbit hosting product. Ooh. Uh, and you can go to redhorizon.com 
and then you can onboard onto Urbit and we give you like an Urbit ID and you can try it out. It's like super simple. You you can be on there in like two minutes and then mm. you can try it out and let us know what you think. So maybe that's the trick of Urbit. You gotta you gotta try it to understand it. Yeah. <laughs> definitely that yeah, that helps. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's redhorizon.com. So R-E-D and then horizon H-O-R-I-Z-O-N dot com. Cool. Anna and Sam, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on with us uh for quarter of an hour. So it was uh yeah. Super <laughs> nice. nice. Have wonderful you. holidays. Thank you for yes. and congrats again, everyone, to congrats. the 10th anniversary. Fantastic. So now, now we're only missing AI epicenter host side to me. <laughs> <laughs> soon catch up to you yeah let us know when you have your 10 uh, when, uh, when, yeah. when is your 10 year coming so up it's also not that far no no well we just did three i did 300th episode with a bit of a look back that just came out a few weeks nice. ago um but yeah we started i mean officially like weekly tw- it was uh beginning of 2018 so what am what am I at? Episode six years almost. Oh, okay. The first first episode yeah. was in 2017, but it was like on SoundCloud, and then we re- okay published it elsewhere. But okay, so uh, three more. 2018. Years, like that. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope I can invite you guys for that. I would love to. Uh, we will definitely. First probably. five years of the harvest. So you're 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 past the hump. <laughs> it's, it's amazing that you guys stayed with it for ten years. Yeah, thanks That's so much. That's the Sam. secret sauce is just keep going. Don't quit. We hope we hope we can continue providing you with shower content for uh, <laughs> for, for another day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I've got to break you know, I, I, I can't do a full episode. So, you know, it uh it's it it scales well with the shower, you know, cuz I get about 3 showers per episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> you do take long showers. I'm sure your water supply company is really happy with this. Yeah, the U.S. You know the the incremental water. It's it's very cheap. So again, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Anna, we'll have to do another crossover episode at some point. True. I I saw. I was listening to that the other day. There was like I don't know if people know. It was recorded. We like kind of made a thing of it. We released it on both of our channels on YouTube. Yeah, from television. 2019. Yeah. Have a good rest of your session. Thanks. Okay. And we have Johnny. Hey. Hello, everything. Congrats, guys. Hey, Jordi. (laughs) Thank you. Jordi. I remember remember when, I mean, at the beginning, very beginning, when I started to be in the community in the DAO, and and, uh, I mean, I think it was the first podcast that I shared about uh, Bitcoin uh, by the time when it was in 2015 or, or something around there. So yeah, I'm just still there in the top. So that's, uh, yeah, I think it's, that's a good job, guys. So Jordi, how, how long have you been in the space now? I mean, I was, I was reading the Bitcoin paper in 2013, but actually I was trying to do smart contracts by the time. And, and, uh, uh, I mean, you, you very soon you discover that Bitcoin was not uh, prepared, very much prepared. I mean, all the all the all the all the scripting language was very limited, and even most of the codes, all the off codes, just didn't work by the time. It was very, very, very frustrating. Everything super slow and, and just abandoned somehow. 
And it was until 2015 that I discovered Ethereum in a very strange uh, way. I mean, because I was just having another job, a lot of work. And uh, I remember that in like in 10 minutes, I was able to just uh, create a Solidity smart contract. And what I was trying to do in 2013 was so easy in 2015 that I just get engaged. And from there, it was like, uh, for me, it was like a drug. Just uh, reading, understanding, discovering, just learning what these, uh, just what's behind the technology, behind the, uh, I mean, you, you, you just discover the community, the, the discovered by the time was uh, the DAO and, and people just building around. And there was a bunch of people just trying to develop things and remember I mean, talking with people from, from Swarm and there were all these dApps start happening and from a developer perspective, uh, I think Ethereum was uh, it was incredible because it's like you had like a new toy and then you can start building a lot of decentralized things on top of that. I mean, if it, Bitcoin was was fine. I mean, it was great, but it's it's just money transfer. And you, you just, okay, which is important, but it, it's just that. And, and Ethereum opens the space to these decentralized uh, uh, applications. And from the developer perspective, this opens a huge world, a new world. And, and for me, it was, I mean, this is where I entered uh, in. Uh, I'm, I'm still here. I mean, I'm still learning. So, uh, yeah, that's how I, how, how I uh, entered. Hey, Ryan. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good to see everybody. Hey, Ryan. We also have Thanks Ryan Zero's back us now. This this was it's, actually kind of your idea. Like you, you, when 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 we had you on, I think it was last year. Uh, you you mentioned that we should do this. I don't remember if it was like on the podcast or like after the podcast. But then this is like we sort of ran with it, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's interesting, you know. It, like I I find Epicenter to be this this compelling um, kind of historical record of the space. Right where there are moments in time where you know the name was kind of um, very opportune because it was the center of the discussion in very critical moments. So, for example, like the Dow hack, which obviously you, you know Jordy sat at the the eye of the storm of and 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 was was so critical in in covering the funds and and all the work that that he did. In that, as well as the other things with like the parity wallet hacks and so on and so forth, when people needed critical information about what was going on, either prior to the DAO hack, I think Vlad had a had like a like a a warning podcast with you guys about about it, and then it happened, and then Jordy saved it or saved most of it, and then Jordy came on after, and like if you want to stay up to date with it, which I did because I I deployed capital into it. Epicenter was the thing, and there and and there has been these moments in time where where Epicenter has has sat at the center of the conversation of, of our space, which has been really critical. Um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm super happy that you guys are doing this. That chapter, uh, that thing was Vlad and uh, I mean I mean talking about the the all the outflows and, and all, yeah. all the problems and <laughs> what to do, and and, he, and that 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 all didn't didn't happen yet. I mean, it was in that moment that was the the the. Yeah, it was like two weeks video. before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was, but for me, I mean, that was personally. I think that that moment was the most interesting moment uh, on the DAO history. 
because it's like okay the people realized that there was like a bunch of money there and the smart contract contract was uh i mean uh, was very primitive and uh was a lot of problems. People started looking at that very seriously, and uh, I mean, a lot of flaws just happened. Again, eh, this is was just before the the residency attack happened. I mean, this was just before that. And um, um, this episode, I mean, this uh, uh, when the mean and 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 Vlad just took a little bit the leadership of the community and saying, "Hey guys, um, this is cool, but." Uh, here there is a lot of, of problems that we need to solve and we need to fix and we need to talk about. And, and, and I mean, I think that was one of the the, the, the important moments uh, from the, 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 the history of the DAOs uh, at that point. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, at the specific chapter with uh, with uh, with Vlad, Vlad and Amin, I think is one. It was an important. It, it really. Uh, and the people really understands uh, understood at that point uh, uh, how incredible could be the DAOs, but at the same time, how difficult it is to to build them. And, uh, and, and I mean, we are still not there yet. And, and that chapter finds a lot of things. The number of reentrancy attacks that happened in 2023 is frankly embarrassing for our industry. Like, like the fact that we still are not getting it right as an industry is like, come on guys like it's 2023 we gotta we gotta get this shit sorted out here um but i will never for the rest of my life forget i actually had fallen asleep listening to i think that episode i was living in in rio de janeiro at the time woke up the next morning which was a saturday and was at the beach with my girlfriend at the time and i got this call from alex vandesan and jordy belena neither of whom i knew at all and they're like we need your dow tokens because like we're going to do the same attack that 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 the guy did and this this <laughs> this catalonian has devised the attack just from like observing the attack going on and i kind of like you know sort of uh slap my girlfriend on the butt who was laying beside me and was like hey baby we got to go home i got to send these, these spanish guys some tokens and <laughs> I remember in that, in that call, I mean, I, I was nobody there. I mean, nobody knews me. And, 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 and I mean, I just was, I deployed, I mean, some attack, just trying to remember the, the, the DAO attack. And somebody, I mean, some, some, some whale uh, just sent me, I don't know, like 200K or 300K, which was a huge amount of money uh, uh, without even knowing me and, and, and without, understanding and and just to recover i mean for me it was like uh that moment was like in a movie i mean it's just i couldn't believe where what what happened i mean just a random guy that i don't even know his name and and uh just sent me <laughs> some some funds to recover uh to my address and and and, and, and but it, it was a crazy uh i mean if you think in if you put it in perspective uh uh it was like everything crazy but all that, all that time. I mean, was this was just the beginning. Another guy just yeah. sent like after after recording all the phones of the DAO, just sent like half a million dollars again back to the DAO, and and then they just trying to record. I mean, it was like crazy, crazy moments uh, by the time. One of these things that you know, oh, and and Epicenter is really very emblematic of this, right? When you meet people who come into the space and and spend say like a year in in crypto. 
they always come back to you and they're like, oh my God, like it's been so crazy. Like so much has happened. Like I can't even believe like, like this is wild. And you're like, actually, no, like it's just kind of always like this. Like it just sort of, you know, every year is, is just as wild, uh, not more, not less, but just absolutely wild in its own, its own unique way, which is why, you know, crypto is a strange addiction, right? It's, it's something that you couldn't, you couldn't really decouple yourself from even if you wanted to at this point. Uh, so that's interesting. I, you know, one of the questions that I've always mm. asked myself, um, the, the, I remember the first, the first episode I listened to from you guys was the predictions of 2014. Cause I was kind of like, I was mining at the time and I was like, okay, like what else is out there? That's like beyond just like mining. This was episode one, by the way. <laughs> what was it? I mean, so was that was the pilot the episode, and then our predictions for 2014 was was the first like you know, numbered episode. It's like episode zero zero one. It came out in January. Yeah. But when it became a regular thing for me was was actually almost a year later with the Vitalik episode because I was fortunate enough to see Vitalik's. Um, first ever presentation of of Ethereum um, in in Toronto at at Anthony Diorio's place, and seeing his evolution as a kind of like an entrepreneur and a presenter over the sort of like nine months of that moment in time, where like his slides were all were all just like code base. He's like, "That is an insurance contract, and that is a this is an options contract." And we're like, "What? Is, like, what is this guy doing?" I, to the conversation that he had with you guys, where you guys were able to really like kind of pull out a more human side of him. And then shortly thereafter from the Vitalik episode, it, it went from episode or epicenter Bitcoin to epicenter. And it kind of felt like you guys were the defining group that had realized that there was more beyond Bitcoin. And this is like, you know, this is 2014, right? Like, like it's still. Bitcoin maximalism wasn't even a term at the time, right? Because mm-hmm. it was everybody was a Bitcoin maximalist, unless you were like really a scammer and you're mm-hmm. in a name coin or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what caused that move for you guys? Like, what, what what caused the opening of the door that, like, hey, there's a lot of cool things here going on in crypto, and we should embrace all of that rather than continue on this narrative around what you know what Bitcoin did last week. Yeah, I mean, I can answer that. I mean, I, I think for me, and I think Sebastian was similar in that we were just like curious about stuff happening, right? I mean, even when, you know, even when uh, you got into Bitcoin or I got into Bitcoin, right? You already had, you already had, you know, alternative you know, all chains, you know, where there was, you know, there was saying, okay, can we like innovate on Bitcoin a bit? You know, do we, decrease the block time or, you know, you had things like PeerCoin that was trying to do some proof of stake-like thing. And of course, you had the things building on top of Bitcoin that were trying to do like applications, right? So counterparty, MasterCoin, MasterCoin. coins. Yeah. yeah. And and then the, I mean, the, Ep, the Ethereum white paper, right? That came out in December, 2013. It's basically right when we started the podcast and we were pretty much immediately like, oh, this is interesting. So I think we did our first Ethereum episode. This is like the very start of 2014. I mean, we, we got some, you know, people on that, uh, 
I don't remember who we yeah, got you, on. Yeah, like you, you had you had Gav on really early. Like I remember Gav's a yeah. Gav thing where that was the first time where I was like, okay, this guy's smart. Like like he, this guy knows what he's doing, and it's not just Vitalik. Um, like yeah, but the name change is actually a bit later, right? So we, but I think, I mean, it was similar in Berlin. The name right? change was was twenty sixteen. Uh, that the article yeah. here. Oh, was it that late? Yeah, but yeah. but we were doing all kinds of podcasts like from 2014 on. I think in terms of like uh, doing other topics, I think you're totally right. We were there already, and yeah, I mean, I mean, I, you were you were the yeah. launch moment. I felt like for the narrative around what Protocol Labs had built beyond IPFS. Like like I think it was the first time that Juan Benet discussed Filecoin publicly. Um, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. that was an amazing episode. I remember that was episode 100. We had Juan on, and he talked about like yeah, IPFS and Filecoin and stuff. And that was that was really a fantastic episode. That was a that and again, like you know, as a capital allocator, like these were really seminal moments for me. Like I I left that episode with a mission to go to DevCon two and just like hound Juan until he just like allowed me on the cap table. I was like, I am going to like figure something out to convince this guy that I am good to be around um, after listening, after listening to that. So it's, it's great. You know, the longevity is important. We, in dialectic, we talk all the time, every single day, we talk about the importance of compound returns, right? The strongest force in the universe is compound interest. This is true in nature with the golden ratio. It's true in finance with compound interest. It's true in, in relationships it's true in skill development. And and it's like compounding that you've had now over a decade, which is an eternity in crypto, is really valuable. I mean, it's been it's been pivotal to to my career. You know, I I happen to be skiing with my family in my my favorite ski chalet here uh, in Switzerland, which has only been enabled because of the alpha that I've been able to accrue <laughs> from up to that. There's a lot of credit, but yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. This is a story I've heard many, many times. Well, my whole family's in here. Jeez, my, my mom and my dad are both watching. <laughs> yeah. yeah. First, the first pilot episode, it was also, I was also in Switzerland in, in an apartment in the mountains, you know, just before Christmas. It was like in the middle of snow. So, if, if you go back to like a point in time for 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 you guys, how has the pod changed your lives? Right, like obviously it's changed our lives, and now we've got like a great, intelligent, open-minded, condensed uh, information on a topic that we could like listen to, say in the car, or in the shower, or working out, or whatever. But how how has it changed your lives overall? I, I mean, for, I think it was, you know, of course, like crucial, right? Like meeting all people in crypto. I mean, definitely investing in crypto as well. The first, you know, the first time I had kind of a job with a startup, you know, and uh, it was this company, Eras Industries, and, you know, we had them on the podcast and then applied and, and, and reached out to them. And the founder was a podcast listener, right? And then later, you know, I think sort of, Tendermint was also kind of connected with that. And then, of course, Meher was a co-host here. And then we started Course One together. And I think it's like so many times, right? It was really 
also through relationships, right? And through people meeting, uh, through hosting podcasts that, that played, a, so yeah, it played an absolutely massive role, I think, in my life and in, in the last 10 years. Yeah, same. Um, I mean, before this, I was building websites and writing CSS for responsive emails, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, not, not, not the building websites and responsive emails is, is not like a, something that people should pursue, but, um, yeah, it's totally like changed my career path, uh, changed my outlook on sort of like on the world and sort of like learning about finance, learning about economics. So these are, these are topics that I had very little knowledge about before, uh, starting Epicenter and like just getting to talk to like incredibly smart people every week uh, about you know all these topics that I thought were really were really interesting right that I was really passionate about um, have just like totally changed my outlook and then and then of course um, you know enabled me to like start several companies so like you know a lot of people know this but I started this company called Stratum um, about five years ago that no longer exists but you know it was was a, a crypto company. Um, and, and now running a fund, right? I mean, like the fund, the interop ventures would, would not exist had it not been for, you know, the time I spent, um, like just building a massive network of people in the space. So, so yeah, it's been absolutely, you know, life-changing for me too. It's also humbling, right? Because kind of like, totally. um, every other week or so we kind of get to speak someone, uh, to someone who is super smart and super passionate passionate about something and kind of really wants to see something through. And I think this kind of puts kind of like other things that kind of we as, as I mean, for all of us, this is kind of a side gig, right? So kind of we all have day jobs. And I think kind of this puts a lot of things into perspective. And I think to me, that's been, um, that's been a wonderful experience. By the way, is Jordy yeah. your most frequent guest? I think Jordy's had what four four episodes. <laughs> no, we 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 talked about it before. The most frequent guests. Are- Can you guess? Can you guess? Trent yeah. Trent McConaughey for sure. Trent, I I feel like Trent's co- almost co-host. And, <laughs> and from there, Jordy Bellina and maybe Vitalik. I don't know. So so uh, six episodes is Vitalik, uh, Emin Gunsir, and then Trent. If you count this episode, it would would have been his sixth. So he did like five full episodes, and and you know, dropping in here. So I would say, kind of, yeah, Vitalik Goon and then Trent. That's I mean, it, Vitalik Goon, Trent, and Jordy as your as your most popular, most frequent guest. Like that's as good as a lineup as <laughs> as you you're gonna get. Like like talk about a a. a star-studded cast right just a group of legends in this game just i, I would like to, to explain before before we leave because it's um uh so what i mean i've always been in the in the episodes as a as a interviewer i mean um always when i finish the the interview with you is uh i i get with the questions i mean those guys um are doing the right questions i mean they are so it's like I didn't feel fully comfortable. I mean, it's like okay, these guys are are going to the point, are going to the 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 questions that are arguable. I mean, they're going to the values and 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 they're going deep to the project, to the to the thing that you are talking about. And this is this is very 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 comfortable. And I think this is one of the one of the secrets of, of this podcast. I mean, it's not a 
when you are there, you are not uh, just, uh, I mean, just, uh, we said, just ex explaining random things to people that, you know, I mean, that you go to the point in, in all the projects mm -hmm. and you get the feeling when you get that. And that's why I think the people love to be here too, because I mean, when you're at this, with this, with this cross and with this interviewer is like, okay, you are, you're asking, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's good. I'm, it's where you really put your 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 thoughts and your your what you are building or what you are doing in really in, okay they, they put you the things on on the table and, and you need to explain and defend what you are doing and this is i think this is amazing oh this means so much uh jordi especially coming from you especially so, coming from jordi bolina that means yeah. quite a bit more yes indeed <laughs> yeah, that's that's what it is yeah, I think I think one of the things you know, coming back to your question earlier about like how it's changed us. I, I think for me, it, one of the things that I've noticed is that doing the podcast has made me like a better, a much better listener, and and just the ability to like, you know, I I, I find myself and my my wife my wife is like the first to complain about is like always asking questions. And, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and sometimes asking too many questions, but. Uh, yeah, but I, I thought you were, I, I thought you were I going do, to say my, my wife's complaining that I'm a listener. I was like, <laughs> boy, does not complain about that. Of all the list of complaints that my wife has, listener is not one of them. <laughs> but no, but like a, a, asking a lot of questions, right? Like trying to get to the bottom of everything, and 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 that's I think something that I picked up from from doing the podcast for service, like asking question over question over question to get to the bottom of you know what people are doing or how things work or, um, yeah. And trying to understand the thing is that the point is because I mean you can you can make questions and, and so on, but it's like you know you are trying to understand you are trying to get to the point you are trying to 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 see what's the nullity that's happened here why this is important why this is really is done this way or this other way or 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 contrasted with different ways to do things and this I mean I think this means more means 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 a lot. For this, for the people that's listening to this, I mean, they are learning, they are they are understanding how, what how the projects and what's the point of the project, what's the point of the what the people is building. I mean, this is value that you are adding to the community. So this is so important. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I I've always I felt this, that uh... you guys asked the questions that, uh, like, as I was listening as a capital allocator, you guys had asked the questions that a capital allocator should ask, and it's interesting that. We've watched essentially all of you in some way become capital allocators in this space. And and that that now in retrospect seems obvious because you've been asking the questions of, of a smart money capital allocator for a long time. And so you get good at it and you you know, you start to to get confidence in it. Um, and that's been you know, that's been why the long form of your interviews I think have have survived and thrived versus versus other podcasts that have that have sort of fanned out. Well, my my other podcast, the Interop, is basically just the forcing function for me to do DD on projects. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to some extent, you know, right? Like, I mean, they're, they're, more so. I mean, it's more than that, but but uh, it, it is it, it does also serve this this purpose sometimes, uh, and also to to get a feel for how like for how the founder expresses themselves and sort of pitches their product and their project outside of a, you know, like zoom call setting, right. In a more, in a more kind of like public facing setting. Um, but yeah, Jordi, Jordi, to come back to what you were saying earlier, 
you know, the, the um, a- asking questions and trying to understand how things work, like for me, was not always something that uh, came naturally. Like in, in the first three or four years of doing the show, I, and this changed after, after some time, I was really coming to the podcast, like tr- trying to over-prepare in order to give the impression that I knew more about the topic that I actually did. Right. And it was sort of like this thing where I was, I was trying to understand the entirety of the pro of, 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 of the, of the topic at hand in order to, to be asking smart questions and sort of like look smart. But then I realized at some point, like this, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like this is stupid. I should come to the, I should come to this with like, you know, some amount of preparation, but but really be asking questions as they come as if I was having a conversation with someone, you know, around a, around, around a dinner table or, or at a bar or something. Right. And, and, and that's when, that's when I think my whole outlook on interviews changes. Like when I was just sort of like asking questions from like a real place of wanting to understand things. And um, uh, also not being afraid to look stupid. Right. So we yes, yeah, yeah. don't so get a- something. It's, that was the that was the fine to ask again because kind of like yeah so I I had the same fear uh, and uh, yeah it 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 also took me a while to kind of shed it. Yeah, yeah, not not looking stupid was a huge fear. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. Did you guys ever think of shutting it down? Is there ever a moment of like, ah, we're doing too many things. Like, let's wrap this up and do something else. Not yet. There's never that conversation. So then that leads to the next conversation because you never, if you, if in 10 years you haven't thought of shutting it down, that means that it's likely to survive for the next 10 years. What do you want out of it for the next 10 years? But, but I think kind of what we have done is we have added more hosts, right? And we, we also do more solo episodes. So I think kind of like, um, the, the, um, onus on every one of us has decreased somewhat. Um, so because basically back in the day, we did an episode. Everyone did an episode every other week and kind of obviously that takes, you know, preparation and so on. And now uh, we maybe do an episode every three weeks or so. And I think, uh, yeah, so I think kind of the the overall workload is at least for me has decreased. Same for you guys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just want to become a better capital allocator, Ryan. That's, that's, uh, that's why I keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ryan, in the next 10 years, I would like to have an... EGA as a co-host. <laughs> and I would like to have built, I would like to have built that system. Both of you to assume none of us is uh, AI. <laughs> so we're going to bring on our our last guest. We're we're running a little lo- long here, uh, but that's great because these have been great conversations. So we're going to bring on our last guest, which is uh, Ryan Muir, head of Fabric Ventures. And uh, yeah, welcome, welcome, Ryan. Oh, Richard, sorry. I got I got upgraded to Ryan there for a second. <laughs> I don't know why I called you Ryan. So Richard Muirhead with the Ryan upgrade. <laughs> yeah. the, the How are you? you? Yeah, I'm. I'm super good, thank you. Um, uh, everybody, so I've been listening a little a bit in the back, um, and I've been um, listening to the um, the voices of of my youth. Someone already said that they kind of. Yeah, Brian, you got outed on a on a on a bus or whatever in in Cancun. <laughs> but it is incredible how how you know that that kind of resonates. I guess not really my youth. I guess it's my early forties. But 
I got, I got, I got recognized on the side of a mountain once. Uh, uh, that, was, that was that's a cute real experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the ski helmet one. He's actually strong. I was wondering if Ryan's voice should got gruff, gruffer naturally, but I, I can see now he's training it with the. Uh, with. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I see the chat you're just having just now is give give, give me an idea. Which is like, you know, if you're, Sebastian, you, you're using it as a forcing function of your DD. And um, if, um, if if voices are so important to people, they're so emotive, you have something like a competition where you have to do your capital allocation based on listening to somebody, um, you know, talk about their project and, and just that. And you have to kind of make the choice. And you could be a fantasy capital allocation if you want. Um, so it's kind of like a speed dating, audio only. Uh, with no prep and no prep, actually, it's a that's a benchmark capital thing. They kind of nobody's allowed to kind of prepare for the the pitch from the from the, the from the founders and that kind of weekly investment uh, meeting. So this kind of I guess the notion is there's a bit of sort of level playing field and no preconceptions, no cheating and checking stuff up and whatever you have to come at it with an average. So you could you could do a little. We could spin that out and make make it into a DAP probably. Honestly, yeah, that's an interesting point. Would it be a security? Yeah. Huh? Would it be a security? <laughs> it's be a game. Probably all. Probably all security, but whatever. <laughs> if you ask Gary, that out. Yes. <laughs> now there's one. There's one guy. I hope maybe we'll have on someday, Gary Gensler. That would be fun for, for, for the twentieth <laughs> year anniversary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> From jail. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren, maybe. Um, Jordi, I know you get. I, I know you got to jump. Jody, as always, it's been such a pleasure and honor to have you on. Thank you very much, guys, and congrats, and continue moving forward. We are not there yet. Onwards yeah, and upwards. Actually, one last thing on that, on that, Jordi. Yeah. Uh, I always take a, the opportunity to publicly thank Jordi for everything that he's done in this space. You have no idea just how many times Jordy has saved all of our bacon. That we're all here in part because of the benevolent, um, extraordinary talent of, of Jordy Bellina. Um, and so uh, I very, very sincerely thank you for, for everything you do. We're, we're incredibly grateful to you. Uh, what, but leave, us, leave us with one thing. Where do you want to take ZKVM and what do you want to see in ZKVM in the next year? I want to scale. I want to scale Ethereum. So my goal here is uh, so I want to uh, reduce the gas cost of about fifty x in the next year, and that's what I'm working for. Compression, compression, mainly compression and and faster proofs. Is that also like lower, um, lower latency proofs, like? But proofs down to a few bytes, do you think, or 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 is it going to stay in like kilobyte territory, or like where where do you think you take it? Uh, lower latency, lower latency. Um, it's may so may not be. So I mean, it's a good thing to have, and if you have low latency in the proofs, that's of course you will get better um, better compatibility between chains mainly. So that's a good thing, and we are working on that. But uh, we are finding ways that you don't necessarily uh, need uh, low latency. So for me, proofs are more about uh, uh, proof cost and, and, and throughput than uh, that the latency. Because 
in the consensus you can uh, you, you you can keep the consensus and you can have a lot of things in the consensus in the in the consensus layer in the temporary consensus layer so uh low latency is a very good to have an important thing to have but for throughput and for scalability maybe it's not 100% required uh on that that's in, i mean this is what we're working on in the aggregation layer in, in in polygon and this is the things that we are investigating uh but yeah i mean regarding the zkvm i mean we we want to scale ethereum and we want this to be uh so people should be able to use ethereum uh without having to worry about the gas price for so, most applications and this and is what we're working on so maybe this is what uh, that Ryan's getting at, but but outside of um, you know scanning Ethereum, if you're looking at um, using ZK on inferences from large language models, the kind of at the the kind of presentation layer and the user experience, then latency is is important. Um, and so it's interesting looking at the collision between the two kind of value chains um, on the data side and on the on the kind of computational the algorithmic side between you know blockchain and and AI, and I think in some parts of that, then latency is going to be a, it, be critical. I don't know if you're looking at that. Yeah, the latency, latency. Um, the thing is that in the, for for usability in general, we are talking about latencies that goes in a about a second, few seconds, uh, something that's that's what uh, usability is is about. I mean, blockchains we are a little bit. Uh, I mean, having a possibility uh, of 15 seconds, we accept that uh, uh, in the Ethereum world or that. But we are talking always about a few seconds. Uh, in the proofs, right now we are in a, I mean, uh, right now we are in about uh, 100 seconds. So we need to get one, one or at least one order of magnitude better for getting to that uh, phrase. I mean, it's perfectly possible. I think that in the next year, two years, this is will be, it's going to be even better, especially for when the hardware hardware acceleration starts uh, hitting. I mean, it starts being a reality on there. There are some difficulties there. It's more, more about bandwidth and, and special hardware. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is the, this is the, the path that's, this is, is the work that's happening right now in the in the Ziki space. The other place where uh, pr uh, proof generation speed is really important is when you start like using it for privacy stuff, right? Because like when you yeah. want to actually like, if, you know that that actually you need it to be fast, not just on like on like on consumer level hardware. Exactly. I mean, it's like in the mobile, especially when you want to do that in the mobile phone. That's that's another that's another front. Uh, uh, yeah. There. I mean, when you want to build the privacy proof uh, in a mobile phone and. But uh, the cool thing is that, I mean, the ZK technology is evolving so fast. I mean, where we were two years ago and where we are now is, is uh, we, we did a 2x, uh, I mean, about two orders of magnitude improvement in, in the mm. proof generation in the last in the last two years and, and 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 this happens in the I mean in big servers, but this happens also in the in, in the mobiles. But it has literally not been time. For building uh, the the libraries for optimized for mobiles, I mean we are building those now, and and, and this is happening uh, at this point. And I mean the, 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 we are seeing a point that the the technology is advancing so fast that the engineering that in general is going fast uh, cannot. I mean it, it requires its time to build all these things, and, and I mean we're seeing that the the, the investigation, the, the the research is. Going faster than the engineering uh, currently, which is 
interesting, interesting. It's an interesting moment because this is not is in general that's that doesn't used to happen. So consumer privacy on the, on the device was kind of what I was getting at with you know inference for LLMs. Um, so I think it's a really interesting use case. But do, so I'm interested, Jordi, are you looking at hardware acceleration that might be necessary on the consumer device itself? Uh, or you're not yet looking I, at hardware acceleration? I, I, I mean, I, I think that not necessarily. Maybe, I mean, here maybe in the mobile a mobile phone, maybe it would take like I don't know, maybe if you thirty seconds to build the proof. I mean, if you accept that, which is in most of the cases, this is uh, could be acceptable. Uh, you can actually build depending what you want to prove, but I mean, you can build the privacy uh, privacy proof uh, relatively relatively easy. Uh, privacy complex privacy. Uh, Proof on, on there. Now, Prima Aztec is working a lot on that on, on, on that front, and uh, here porting all the Starks things that we're building to the to the to the mobile phones. This is our happening. Of course, if you have hardware acceleration. That's that's better. But in general, the problem is that I mean, hardware is a long process. I mean, building an ASIC. This is a, at least a, at least a one year one year two years uh, project itself. And, and what happened now is that. In two years in crypto, uh, there is a new protocol that's using something different that you have to throw it away uh, what you have been investing, investing. I was going to say, before crypto, one or two years wasn't too bad, but now with crypto, it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but at some point, this will this will get more stable. And, yeah, but not now. You know, I mean, we're seeing here things. I mean, uh, two years, I mean, two one month ago, two months ago, there was this uh, B news thing. I mean, all these starts with binary fields. I mean, super interesting. And but this is already changed uh, uh, what we were doing now with uh, prime fields in, in the starts. But I mean, it, it, things are happening, and 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 need to to check or even recovering old protocols. Like I mean, Ethereum uh, people recovering the GDKs, uh, the, the GKRs algorithms. I mean, they are putting them together. It's a lot of things happening. So, for example, here investing a lot in, in hardware is, I would say, is quite risky because uh, technology is changing a lot. So you don't know for sure uh, what's going to be the right uh, way to do. And, and uh, I mean, the, the or prover itself, I mean, was super fast, but next generation that we are building is even faster. So it's it's it's. Um, you are discovering a lot of small tricks and a lot of things that are happening. So it's it's going really fast and 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 uh, keeping up uh, from the engineering perspective. I mean, keeping up in all the nuances that are happening uh, is, is 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 not easy. And even selecting them. I mean, there are so many research. And I mean, okay, this thing is is a good thing or is not a good thing. And sometimes you need to go really deep and actually implement there, and then you realize that maybe that. It's not as fast as uh, it's promised, and then you need to step back, or, or then somebody uh, just uh, gets with a with a trick that uh, okay, but doing this, this thing this way, then this is super fast, and, and, and then you you come back, and, and this is the I mean, you're going back and forth all the time. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the crypto, this is the crypto, the the, the crypto craziness uh, when you are developing and when you're in this space but this is also the good thing i mean this is amazing i mean for engineering perspective this is a it's a heaven
So, so I, I heard Ryan say that uh, he had the prediction episode at the beginning of 2014. I don't remember listening to to, to that one, but I I did um, I do remember the Tom Cruise episode, and I went back and listened to it. And and um, and do you remember Brian? You like in all this, uh, you know, you you actually sort of you, you basically said a few things about like more. All this Ethereum thing sounds like science fiction. It's all going to become a kind of reality. And they're, they're going to be, these agents are going to be able to transact economically on our behalf. But the real problem is that we're not going to be able to get the accurate data to them to make sure that they, you know, they, they represent our needs in the right way. And I think, I think that's, I think that was pretty, um, sort of, that showed great foresight, I guess, since January, January until they're like sometime early 2014. Uh, you also said you were you were pretty skeptical about investing in Ethereum. I don't you remember that. About what? Investing in Ethereum seemed a bit seemed a bit complex. Oh, did I say that? <laughs> I got to go back and listen to these episodes. <laughs> yeah, I think that was episode three. It was like Tom Cruise fights to protect the blockchain. I don't remember why we called it that. Maybe because yeah. maybe because during the episode we like fantasize about a Tom Cruise movie where he was protecting the blockchain or something? I don't know. He, yeah. he, was, a, he was a tiny sliver with something to do with what, how Vitalik had pitched Ethereum. Anyway, yeah. it's like you were rather kind of bizarre context. Yeah. And some of the other yeah. stuff had too much regulatory content for me. I couldn't get into being on Let's Talk Bitcoin at, at walking me through stuff. You know, We, we, we did, did have a lot of regulatory content at the beginning, yeah. Um. Guys, yeah, Jordi, I know you have to. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. Bye. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I guess this whole thing of yeah, agents acting on the blockchain it still doesn't exist quite right for people to have that kind of thing. But uh, feels like we're getting closer slowly. Uh, no, I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't exist yet. But I mean, there's a lot of people now kind of innovating, obviously, with LLMs to kind of build those. You know, yeah bots that will kind of represent your interest or you can talk to um and and you and you feel like they're you know having a personal conversation with you or, or whatever so but i guess whether or not that will require some intersection of ai and, and blockchain depends on whether uh, how foolhardy we are as humans like i mean whether we just we start trusting um these bots out there in the same way as we're trusting the big brands of, of web 2 you know, just a kind of a general social consensus. Oh, it's a bot built by some, so that's fine. I'll I'll work with it, not knowing how it's been trained or whether you know what it's doing with any of your kind of personal data. Okay, that, that's one of the big debates I think of of, of today. How we're going to make sure that we don't kind of sort of further fuel the, the techno feudalism. Um, you know, yeah. in this in this next phase, so whether Web three can actually sort of help AI to, to any degree. But there's a, and there's another side on the bots, which is that, that I mean, I don't think any of us would say that, and um, love to hear opinions on it, that the kind of decentralized governance has quite got to kind of mainstream yet. Sort of simple governance, still pretty complex to handle. And, um, and so the other Technically thing, speaking or socially speaking? Well, both. Do you think it's a technical problem or a social problem? I mean, it's definitely a social problem. Yeah. Um, but also we'll a mechanism the, design yeah. problem, no? Sorry? Yeah. Also mechanism design problem. So I think kind of like the simple DAO models that we have now, basically they all don't appreciate that attention is kind of the scarce resource here. 
I think this is something that Daostack had figured out super early on. Um, unfortunately, uh, they went out of business. But uh, yeah, I, I look forward to kind of having uh, those sorts of efforts back. Well, well, yeah. I think some of this comes from Ilya, uh, you know, the co-founder at, at Nair, who's got a, a great LLM background. He he um, he talks, um, you know, openly now about the desire to kind of build, uh, you know, DAO presidents in in bot form, so they can delegate, you know, to some intelligent agents to or various different descriptions to represent. Because there's no way if we have if we're going to have corporations as code popping up everywhere. Um, and, and we're going to be interested in, for some sliver of our existence, in the the, the effective governance in those, you know, DAOs or DAX or whatever. Then you know, this, it can only scale if we're going to trust these 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 twins, these entities. Yeah, absolutely. So basically, specifying your values or kind of having an AI extract your values for you and kind of your economic interests and so on, and then kind of uh, doing kind of like a liquid delegation to those kinds of AIs. Yeah, absolutely. Totally with you here. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, personally, I feel like in the in the Cosmos space, Garland's working like pretty well. Right. I mean, I think we have like Cosmos hubs at like 800 governance proposals, osmosis, tons of governance proposals, and with like, you know, high participation, both in terms of, you know, state that's voting. So it's like secure from some whale coming in and like, you know, like, because often on Ethereum, I think in the DAOs, right, you'd have like 3%, 5% of DAO tokens voting in the governance, and then, you know, some big whale can come and skew the vote but you don't have that issue in the cosmos governance thing and then we have you know regularly definitely like thousands of accounts i mean there's always a lot of like bot accounts voting too i mean sunny probably has better idea on this but there's definitely a lot of people participating in these votes and and i feel that's actually working pretty well uh yeah ryan uh i think you need to run we're gonna i do guys proper sign off Thanks so much. Thank for you so much joining. Enjoy the skiing, loyal listener, all these years. And yeah, well, thank you guys for for everything you do for the important education, the like technically sophisticated education that you provide to this this ecosystem. It is very important, uh, more important than you know. Um, and so, uh, I'm incredibly grateful to all of you um, for keeping faith and keeping with it, and just compounding on all of our knowledge. And so, uh, thanks again. I, I thank you, that. Thanks. And, Thanks also, and also for helping with all the weekly shopping trips and showers and runs. <laughs> <laughs> Getting people through life. Cheers, Thanks so much, Ryan. Great. Well, I think um, I think we're we're about ready to wrap up, wrap this party up. It's been it's been two and a half hours. Um, thanks for thanks for sticking around, uh, Richard. So yeah, where do we go from here? What's uh, are we shooting for 20 years? Is that what we're doing? Yeah. Not just one AI host, but just all of you. It's, you know, back, back to the previous conversations. You're just going to capture generally your values and your interests and, and, it, and it, the bot sort of sucks up everything you're, you're reading as you go along through your glasses or contact lenses. And then it can, <laughs> you, need, you don't have to do it at all. You could be doing like 10 podcasts a day each. You know, that's, so then you can go forever. <laughs> well, I, I wish I could even, I wish I could do three, because sometimes two is too much. <laughs>
But, but yeah, and before... we could actually synthesize a much better podcast host, right? I mean, so yeah. basically we could yeah. take like the exactly. good parts of all of us and, uh, <laughs> you know, synthesize them into, you know. Uh, Meher is working on this. Yeah, exactly. Like, like <laughs> the thing I do is I would, for a project, I would collect the entire sort of information about the project, white paper, website, the entire code base. I would put everything in a retrieval augmented generation pipeline. And then it's like, figure out how to simulate Friederike or how to simulate Meher. Like somehow like fine tune an LLM so that it is able to simulate me. And then it's able to ask questions from the documentation and generate an episode by itself. Right? Like, and then deliver it. When can I invest? When can I allocate capital? <laughs> more than that's always the key question it's also funny how how you kind of become an llm rapper for your co-hosts to a certain extent so kind of depending on who i host with i know what they're going to ask next so kind of i have like this <laughs> llm representation of them inside my head uh, and uh yeah <laughs> so but before we end this uh are there any any final thoughts? Anything anybody, especially anyone wants to share? Well, I mean, if nobody's going to, I, I do. I'd like to, yeah. I mean, I, I just want to say, like, I absolutely appreciate all of you. I've loved doing the podcast with with all of you. I mean, it's 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 always, it's what's great about Epicenter is, like, I think we all have, like, like you were saying, for like, you know, we all have this sort of, like, dynamic, right? So there are, you know, N number of dynamics here when, when we all sort of like do podcasts together and that's been really fun. And, uh, I really appreciate like, yeah, getting to learn so much from, you know, being able to co-host the podcast with, with all your week. So, um, yeah, I hope we, I can keep doing this with you guys for, for the next 10 years. Absolutely. <laughs> what? How does this work? <laughs> no, I don't even know that works. That's crazy. The heart. No, How long do I have AI? AI? It's a pause. Here we go. Here we go. You have to update your Mac. <laughs> so before before we end this, it, it wouldn't be a 10-year anniversary episode without the obligatory Green Day, Good Riddance, Time of Your Life photo slideshow. So. I had no idea this was coming. <laughs> okay. Room 77. <laughs> I had to add Felix in here at the end. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. I <laughs> There's no picture of all six of us, right? No, there isn't. But Yet. there is now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think Felix is like a little bit larger than the... the you know, in terms of kind of like body proportions, <laughs> I think kind of we have to shrink him down by like ten percent. I have some yeah. there on my arm too. It's sunny. But... <laughs> let's, let's let's shrink him by let's shrink him by forty <laughs> percent. <Yeah. laughs> oh gosh, yeah, I, um, yeah. Hope you guys like that. Was, uh, I had a bunch of pictures from that was super uh, over cool. The years. I appreciate yeah. you putting this together, Steve. Yeah, well, you could you awesome. could thank iOS for that. <laughs> Throw a bunch of pictures into into Apple Photos on there. Yeah, great guys. Well, uh, thanks uh, 
thanks for everybody who tuned in. There's been tons of people here in live stream. Um, I think we probably like hit two, two, three hundred people in live stream over the course of the the two and a half hours. So yeah, thank you, and we'll be back next week. Awesome. As always, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> As every week, except for As the one week. week that we missed. That's right. Oh, that was my last. That was that was my last trivia question. Oh, I know, I know this one. Which you know this one? Christmas week. 20, I don't know, 19. I know it's definitely Christmas week. Yeah. I was so upset. I was sad. I cried. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't miss this this Christmas week. That's and, then, and then we re-ran the David Chom episode. Remember that? No, no, no. That wasn't David Chom. It wasn't David Chom? Who was it? Uh, no. Uh, it was, it was uh, Ralph Murphy. Yeah. Ralph Murphy. Oh, okay, okay. So, some OG. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> We're like, all right, this is an evergreen episode. We can run it any time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was over then. He is over now. No one will notice. All right. How are you going, guys? Thanks. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a Google Home or Alexa device, you can tell it to listen to the latest episode of the Epicenter podcast. Go to epicenter.tv slash subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the newsletter so you get new episodes in your inbox as they're released. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we're always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week.